Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. And this is Alessandro Maniscalco. And we are going to be bringing you another commentary episode. We're going to be commenting on the entire Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice extended cut. So if you want to pull up your version of the extended cut, get that ready. We will tell you where to pause that in just a second. Um, but Alessandro, tell me about the first time that you saw Batman v Superman and what was your reaction that first day walking out of the theater? Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I went in thinking the movie was going to be awful because I had been following, you know, the updates and the trailers going... F Actually, I tried not to watch any trailers and ultimately it just took too long for the movie to come out and yeah. I ended up spoiling what seemed like everything in the trailers with Doomsday and all. But I thought it was going to be terrible because it, it seemed to have everything but the kitchen sink in it, but actually did have the kitchen sink but <laughs> right. uh but it it worked it worked terrifically and it all came together very well and i i think they did a great job yeah i went and saw it opening night by myself just because i could not wait until like friday or saturday and i also wasn't sure what to expect because of all the critical reviews but I walked out of it and came home and started talking to my wife about it and I gave it a solid 7.5 and my initial thing was sort of, I think it's better than the critics and the reviews are saying, but I also could tell that I needed to see it again. And like as we'll see here, there's just so much in the movie where I knew there was stuff going on and I could not process it all just on the first viewing. So I went and saw it again with other people that weekend. and. Right away, I bumped it up to like a 9 out of 10, and I started to just see what was happening and all the connections and stuff. And then, as I saw it more and more, it just moved its way up towards like 9.5 out of 10. Now I'm giving it like a 9.8 out of 10. Now I just think it's this great piece of art. But it does take quite a bit of effort to really get all of it out of it, you know, to process it and analyze it. Absolutely, yeah. Actually, I, you know, I gave it a 10 out of 10 right the first time I saw it. And my wife, she's not into fiction fantasy or any superhero stuff and she loved the movie so yeah you know if she could like it then it's got to be good right and i give you a lot of credit for seeing the brilliance of it right away because it did take me two or three times before i really saw the brilliance of it but the whole group of people that i went to see it with we were a diverse group and we all liked it we were just talking and really infatuated with it afterwards so yeah i wasn't sure where all the negativity was from but i will if you have it if uh listeners have the movie ready to go you can hit play and then pause it a few seconds in right when the leaf is over the middle of WB. So it's just a few seconds in. Be ready to pause it right when that leaf is over the center of the WB. I'm going to go ahead and pause it right in that same spot as well. And in a little while, we will all hit play together. So there comes the leaf right in the center. Okay. So um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that we love analyzing this movie. There's a lot in it. We've written and recorded... I don't know, like 16 hours worth of anal analysis on this movie. <laughs> and I still feel like we miss stuff because our listeners find other connections and make other links that we miss. But what we're going to do in this one is we're looking at the extended cut. So that is going to be something that we don't always analyze. We've been analyzing basically the theatrical cut. Um, and the other thing we can do here is we can give our you know real reactions to the music and the visuals and the energy of the movie and uh, in addition to what we usually focus on, which is kind of the themes and the character arcs. All right, so I think everybody is ready. So in the count of three, two, one, play, we will hit it. So ready? Uh, three, two, one, play. So the first thing that I remember thinking about this movie was how is the musical score going to match Man of Steel? Because Man of Steel has such great music. And then right with this first scene, 
Hans Zimmer brought the he, he brought the musical genius because uh, this was just such a great piece to go along with the opening monologue. Yeah, and I think opening with this monologue is a great way to set the tone for this movie. Yeah, and this was my first clue that I was enjoying the movie, but I knew that I needed to watch it again because, like, this monologue, basically in my first viewing, I knew that this monologue was important and that it had meaning behind it, but I didn't know what meaning to make of it because I hadn't seen the movie yet, so I knew I needed to see it again and then think about that opening monologue again. There's the Zorro uh, coming soon poster. Which yes, like, in the, the in the comics, that's what they go to see. Right, and that's great too. How they have Excalibur on the marquee and Zorro coming soon, so they were able to link into both of those. So here we have the falling motif, which I think is really strong in this scene. We have the snow lightly falling. We had the leaves falling earlier. Um, there's just so much falling that was, I think, definitely what they were going for in this scene. And we have Thomas Wayne is being played by. Um, the actor who played the comedian in Watchmen. And he's also in Walking Dead along with the actress. I forget their names. Yeah, um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I think, maybe. Right, right, right. Yeah, I can't remember the Walking Dead actress, but... But like, see, now, this, uh, the way that Joe Chill, I guess, uh, shoots with the, uh, the pearl necklace is, comes from Dark Knight Returns. Oh, absolutely, yep. So, and here's the clenched fist is from Dark Knight Returns as well. But to me, this is really telling that the father is going to defend his family, but he has a little bit of that rage, like, how dare you do this to my family? And Thomas Wayne showing that, which I think is passed down to Bruce. Like, Bruce can get that rage and anger, righteous anger as well. And a lot of people complain that they show the origin of Batman here, but I, I feel like it's really important to incorporate. I mean, to me, first of all, it was shot beautifully. Like, this is the most artistic we've ever seen the origin story filmed. But it, it's also just really important for the story. Yeah, but it's also sort of like a variation. You know, each telling of the origin is slightly different, and this particular telling fits better with the story they're trying to tell. Right. And now we have the falling pearls, the falling Bruce, everything falling. And so this is going to be a story about a fallen Bruce. I mean, it's, it's just so brilliant. It's really, to me, it's like art. It's, it's more than a movie, and that's why it eventually kind of moved up once I realized. It's like art or literature, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's more than yeah. just a blockbuster movie. And now here they establish the Martha, you know, I think that's a, I gotta think that's a reference to Citizen Kane with the rosebud, because it's like filmed right on his mouth. Right. And the fact that we start the movie with Bruce Wayne tells us that the focus of this movie is sort of on Batman. Right. Um, so people that watched closely noticed the pearl fall, which lets you know that this is not a realistic thing that's happening right here. It's already in a dream state because the pearl wouldn't be falling down here in the Batcave. But it's and great too. And the first too, time I saw it, I, I did notice that pearl and it sort of made me question, but I still thought that this could be real mm -hmm. at this point. It wasn't until after he says in the dream that I realized it was a dream. I actually got upset seeing him being lifted by the bats here the first time I saw it. Just because it's a little too unrealistic? Right, but then when yeah. he said it was a dream, then I was like, oh, okay. Yep, yep. Yeah, I had a similar thing the first time I watched it, where I was kind of like, oh, are they doing this? But then when you realize it's symbolic, yeah. 
And of course, I went into this very skeptical. So right off the bat, I had a negative, you know, mindset. Oh, right, right. No, it's a great shot here. I mean, this is just beautiful with the activity of the bats, but Bruce there, like, solid in the middle. And then to me, too, it's this beautiful lie, right? So the song is Beautiful Lie. He's going to talk about the beautiful lie. So people have different interpretations, but I take the beautiful lie to be this idea that when he rose as Batman, that he was making a difference and that he was healing the wounds that he has from losing his parents. But that's a lie to himself that Batman heals those wounds. He really hasn't healed the wounds yet. He hasn't come to terms with it. So I like how they say introduced to the Superman. Yeah. On that in that text. Yeah, it, it also it makes it seem more like kind of the world is having to grapple with something. Like if you just call him Superman, it seems like it's the character that we've known for seventy five years. But when you're saying the world is introduced to the Superman, it's kind of like no, this world in the movie still has to figure out what the deal is with Superman. Has to figure out the relationship. And with interestingly him. enough, they're talking about the new Batman movie being called the Batman. Oh right. <laughs> A lot of talk about that this week. Um, so this pumps so, up the action a little bit. Feel the kinetic energy here. See, my heart was pounding the first time I saw this already. Yeah. This was such an intense scene. Yeah, and I thought they did a nice blend of the you know, broad city destruction, but also putting a personal edge on it with uh, this Jack character and Bruce talking to him. So we've got the personal and the big catastrophic... And I mentioned this in the podcast, but I was actually in New York City when 9-11 occurred. Oh, wow. And this was very much, like, making me recall that day. And you felt like it was in a respectful way, like not in a way that's just exploiting it? Absolutely. Yeah, me too. I, I wasn't there in New York, but I, I took it as, no, they're treating this seriously. They're not just, you know, getting cheap points from 9-11. Unlike, say, uh, the Avengers... So this, I still haven't totally confirmed this, but I feel like this is out of sequence, that the scout ship was already crashing right there, but the gravity weapon hasn't been stopped yet. I think in Man of Steel, the gravity weapon stops first, and then the scout ship crashes. Like, I feel like this is the moment right now that the gravity weapon stopped, and that's why everybody's looking up. So I think those two things are a little bit out of sequence, but um, that's one of, one of only a few complaints I have about this movie. I like the perspective shot here, right? Like, you go from Bruce, his reaction to it, and now from his perspective looking at it. It's a nice little move. I just can't believe how realistic all this stuff seems, too. Yeah, and seeing things from a different perspective is really cool, too. I mean, the fact that they're showing us the same events, but from the ground, yeah. also has a... It, it speaks to Bruce Wayne's, uh, you know, views in this movie. Yeah. You know, the whole God versus man. Right, he's definitely kind of grounded. Ground. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely kind of powerless. He's in the position of man watching this happening. Oh, this shot coming up. So, like, when I watched this movie in theaters, it was this shot coming up with Bruce running that won me over big time. This is the uh, religious overtones that you're kind of talking about, too, are explicit there from Jack. Right. I should also say that uh, in Man of Steel, during that scene when the I-beams are going through and destroying the building, there's a sign that says, keep calm and call Batman, and literally Bruce Wayne is on the phone at the same time. <laughs> but that shot running into the smoke is just so intense, and they're tracking with him, and he's going into that cloud, and then his shoulders kind of slump at the end. 
I, I tend to think that this horse is an homage to Dark Knight Returns also because there's a, a part in that story where he rides Batman rides a horse after sure. a, like a disaster. Right. And I think we mentioned in the podcast too that a riderless horse is a longtime symbol of like fallen soldiers or death. So here's the in the extended cut we have these kids. So I was here on set like right across from set when they were filming this. Uh, I had my little camera on the sidewalk across the street and we saw them leading that chain of children out. And then we saw all this wreckage here. It's in Corktown in Detroit. They had built this whole wreckage there and stuff. So here we get introduced to Wally. He's gonna See, this line has always sort of baffled me, the way he says that. It's a, I almost get the impression that he expected Bruce to know who he, who he was. Hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't By sure about that By calling him either. boss, he's like distancing himself from him. Yeah. Now, this was the other day that I was there on set, as I saw them blocking out that girl rescue. I saw the little girl there with Ben Affleck. Um, that's how I ended up kind of getting into this podcast YouTube business, was because I got this footage of Bruce Wayne saving her. So they actually filmed them on consecutive days. The uh, kids holding hands and stuff was one day, and then the very next day they did that scene with the girl. But that's a great, again, the camera, they, they plan all these camera moves perfectly, like going from their faces to then the wreckage above. And again, think about how powerless Bruce feels, right? Like he's on the ground, he saved one girl, but then look at all this destruction and now even more coming in that he's totally powerless against. Now, he looks so much like what you would expect Bruce Wayne to look like with that five o'clock shadow and everything. Oh, and totally. The yep. Yeah, I was... I was pretty excited about Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne early on, and I think he turned out well. So this says 18 months later. I think that's important to note that if you look at the timestamps on the files that Bruce steals later on, it actually says 2015. Right. So it was it's basically where like... where the world engine was. So Man of Steel was like late 2013, and then this is actually in 2015. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. So... This is just some beautiful shots, beautiful color. I also thought it was great that it's another connection to Man of Steel, right? Because Man of Steel had the Indian Ocean stuff that was going on, and now here we see that, that is still, it still matters in this world. I just This is one thing that I love about this movie, is how well it, it links and syncs up with Man of Steel. Everything kind of follows forward. Right. So now they're, they're clearly looking for kryptonite. I yep. mean, we don't know this just yet, but once he breaks it open and we see the kryptonite, it doesn't mean that he knows that there's going to be kryptonite in there, but he's breaking it open to see what's inside. Yeah, and maybe and he's been at this. That's when he sees it. Right. I took it as he's been, you know, looking around for stuff for a while, and he's been breaking open a lot of rocks and stuff to look inside for it. So, yeah, I think that was... And that kryptonite scene is important because, obviously, the kryptonite is going to be an important uh, plot device throughout the movie. All right, so now we get some extra footage here of the arrival of Lois and Jimmy. Nairobi, Africa, fictional location in Africa. So this is definitely different than the theatrical cut, right? Like, it's very clear that this is Jimmy. All right. And they haven't met before.
<laughs> a little bit of more swearing. <laughs> so Hiran obviously was her previous photographer. Right. And Jimmy was planted there by the CIA. So if you're following the particulates in the shot, you know, which are obviously all planned by the filmmakers, in the opening scene we had things falling and now here we have this kind of dust sweeping to the side. So uh, definitely and, a they, diff and they say actually mention blood in the sky. Yeah. It's almost like how did Jimmy Olsen not know he was going to get caught using film? I mean, who uses film anymore? <laughs> <laughs> that that should have been suspicious already. Right. <laughs> so there we see the KGB's first. And then the general, which lets us know that that KGB is going to be the one that we need to pay more attention to throughout the movie. And the, here, Amajag is basically replacing General Samsa from Earth One comics and Saya Kabil from Birthright. They're sort of blending the two African storylines together in this movie. Yeah, this one, the nice thing about this extended cut is it does make it more clear what the political dynamics were here in Nairobi. Right. Because, uh, like, for me, we'll talk about it later, I didn't necessarily need all of the extra Superman framing type stuff, but what was nice was just to get a little bit more of the situation here, that there's a civil war going on and the U.S. is trying to stay neutral. And it's important that Lois says that U.S. is trying to keep neutral in the right. civil war. Yeah, because that's why it's a problem that Superman came, was because, oh, no, Superman is ma making right. it seem like the U.S. isn't neutral. So we've definitely and got some tension. And that line about being here. a journalist. Yeah, that reminds me of Man of Steel too. Like that, she comes in and she she just knows I need to assert myself pretty authoritatively at the beginning, otherwise people are going to try to push me around. Oh, see, Amajag just said no one is neutral, and that plays into Lex's whole uh, premise of why he hates Superman. Very nice. So it is beeping, so it's a little bit silly that it's beeping, but it's one of those movie things where it just makes it more clear to the audience. The audience right. has to follow a lot of stuff. If you have it beeping, it's more clear for the audience to know, okay, that's some sort of tracking type thing. So it's a little bit silly, but it's kind of like a movie logic. Jimmy. Jimmy has a little bit of nobility here, uh, keeping Lois, trying to keep her safe and taking the blame himself. But this is a little bit shocking. Right. Let's see now, Jimmy getting shot here is a clue to us that, you know, things could be leading towards that injustice future. Oh, right, right. Like if, yeah, people, if people can actually get killed, then we know that Superman might be a little bit psychologically fragile well, if he's... Well, because in, in injustice, Jimmy Olsen does get shot. So it's sort of pressing, setting that precedent. Yeah, so th that's true. So there's maybe several things where comic readers or people that know the games, they might be thinking like, whoa, are these movie people actually going towards injustice? Right. That's a good point. Ignorance is not the same as innocence. So we analyze this in our podcast. And that sort of also applies to Superman. You know, even though he doesn't know that by saving someone he's causing problems for someone else, that doesn't mean that, you know... Yeah, he's, he's innocent in it. Right, he still might have some guilt or responsibility, and I think Superman even feels that guilt. You know, so, all right, now the KG Beast is doing the frame job here. 
So there's the notebook. So they showed Lois using the notebook earlier. Now we see it getting shot, so that'll all connect up later. A little bit more blood and stuff here in the extended cut, in addition to just a lot more of this being shown. And now the flamethrower. So the nice thing about the flamethrower is that there's a payoff later when he has it with Martha. So it's a setup and a payoff. But so Lex knows that the bullets are not going to be not going to come out because they're confidential, and they're burning the bodies to make it look like Superman burned them with his heat vision. Yeah, which like to me is fine, but it also we've talked about this before. Like I don't think it was necessary to frame Superman that thoroughly. I think it was enough that Superman just arrived in a very sensitive part of the world where there's a civil war going on. I think oh, just I his presence there was enough, but this is like. It's maybe just a little bit more hand-holding the audience, like, oh, they were trying to right. frame him. And actually, that's one thing that I liked more in the theatrical version. Yeah, me too. This is kind of cool to have Superman coming up like this, but, yeah, for me, I actually prefer the theatrical version on this uh, African stuff. Although that's a cool shot that they did, but... And that was a drone, so nobody needs to worry about Superman killing those people. But it also shows a little bit of the tension between the CIA and the military. The CIA was sticking their nose in there when threatening the U.S. neutrality as well. So here, I think this is important, right? It's been 18 months, and we can just see from this look that Lois and Superman have this bond. They have a connection. Right, sort of like he can already see the inside of her head because they yeah. know each other so well. Yep, very nice. That's a great shot, too, going away from the camera. Great energy to that shot. So we'll talk about it later too, but the other thing with the bullets are, you know, because the bullets are so special to LexCorp that if anybody is trying to find out about the bullets, Lex will get notification that, hey, people are looking into your bullets because nobody else has bullets like that. That's the point that Man of Steel answers made about why the special bullets were so important. It's basically like Lex's safety valve for Lex to have tabs on anybody that's trying to check in on him. So this is making it a little bit uh, more heart-wrenching that you see the the locals and how they're reacting to the carnage. And of course now American uh, military is seen there, which right. they're not supposed to be there. Yep. Sort of Superman forced their hand according to the world. Yep. And now Superman has gone somewhere else but Lois is still here so like Superman didn't just fly Lois away. He, you know, he came in, saved her, but then I think he just exited. And she got her book. Yeah. So, now here too, this is uh, from the theatrical cut, but her story gets expanded here in the extended cut. I and think we're sort it, of hearing their interpretation, you know, from the ground of what happened, but we do learn that this was actually scripted by Lex. Yeah. And the thing that she's really talking about was the backlash from the Nairobi government. And so it's just showing, like, the U.S. got entangled there and the African government really overreacted to it. And so now the U.S. kind of feels responsible for ratcheting up all that carnage. And she's saying, I need to be tough on Superman, so we're going to hold Superman responsible because he was the one that went in there when it was supposed to be neutral. So here's the, this was, I think, the very first thing filmed for the movie was they, they went to a football game in California and had them put on some jerseys and film a few scenes. I uh, like the supposedly the game. address is a callback to the year 
Batman was first introduced, and the the officers' names are actually uh, names of writers from the comics. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I like when they put little stuff like that in. So here it's Metropolis kicking butt against Gotham, which just shows that Metropolis <laughs> is kind of the favored city, and Gotham's kind of the underdog city. <laughs> And there we see our first glimpse of a, a real person, you know, playing themselves sort of on uh, the media, which I like how they have the realistic media in this movie. And they showed a billboard for the Gotham Seaport to sort of prepare us for the end of the film where the Doomsday Battle takes place. All right. So the bats coming out of there is a nice touch. This scene I thought was just a masterful scene. So, like, just if you took this scene by itself and analyzed it for, like, the filmmaking quality... I think it's great how we have the we get the establishing shot of the building, we have the cops coming in, and now we have this momentum of following the police officers into the building, and these sounds that are like always just beyond where we are. So it's it's kind of this uh, tension building technique. A couple of aspects of this is also from Dark Knight Returns, the the staircase, the rookie cop. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I think the rookie cop was, it was great that they did take that from the comics and use it because he really enhances the tension of the scene by having him be so kind of nervous and green. True, yeah. And he's seeing Batman for the first time just like we are. Yep, that's nice. Um, but see, again, like we heard the sounds down here, we come down and actually we find out, oh no, there's actually even scarier sounds in another part of the building. And now we kind of follow the police officers toward that sound tension builds the lighting is great here too get the silhouette of the police officer there see now he's saying i don't know who he is yeah which means that even cesar thinks that the white portuguese is a person oh good point i hadn't thought of that so batman's interrogating him but he's responding as if it's a person you're right right <clears throat> Again, it's great use of the focus. So the, the, the actual thing that we're looking at there has not been in focus yet. We, it's been obstructed, so we're still kind of wondering, what's over there, what's over there? Now we can kind of see it, make it out, and then it'll come into focus. Man, it's so good. Now he's looking around what's going on, and just the great man... Zack Snyder is a master. Is, yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> and it's great, and he's actually up there in the corner like a bat. Right. And he's able to avoid the shotgun blasts here. And there was like almost like a certain supernatural quality to him running along the wall. Yep. So here he can't believe that he saw him for real. I think this is a great line here, though. Don't shoot the good guys. Like, so here we're about to watch for an hour and a half that Batman is going after Superman, who's a good guy. And we have this police officer basically saying, like, hey, try not to go after the good guys. <laughs> but I also got the impression that the cop was acknowledging Batman as a good guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the branding thing, though, obviously important, and we'll see it more fully developed here in the extended cut. So now we get this uh, Lois's apartment, but they seem to be pretty much living together from what we can tell. This unpacking bit, I think, is a little extra. Yeah, that's right, because, yeah, that's, that was not in the theatrical right here. 
so we know that she's still really grappling with what the heck happened in Africa and that must have been traumatic right like you had a gun pointed at your face and then all this death around you and she's somewhat responsible right because she was the one kind of sticking her nose in there so we just you know even though there's no dialogue here whatever we should be thinking about Lois and what she's going through in the aftermath of that incident and now her instincts take over and her kind of journalistic like curiosity takes over and it's a way for her to cope with all that kind of tragedy and she's kind of responsible for some of those deaths yeah and she's drinking wine which is kind of like blood as if she's sort of taking responsibility for that bloodshed right but if she can figure out what was really going on with that bullet then maybe she can sort of find the real culprit behind it not herself she hides the bullet so she doesn't want to share this with clark yet she wants to kind of pursue it on her own Here's a big smile, Superman smiling. We tried to point that out in Man of Steel, or Clark smiling, I should say. So, yeah, to me, he comes in, he wants to have a nice night, but, you know, she says there's this thing that we have to deal with. And so this is this common thing throughout the movie that the world brings Clark down. Clark doesn't want to be somber and serious all the time, but he is in a serious situation where real serious things are happening. So it doesn't make sense for him to still be all chipper and smiley. And he's saying he doesn't care what they're saying in the hearings. Yeah, he's basically trying to convince himself, I think, that, like, he's trying to convince himself, I did the right thing. I needed to go there and save you. It doesn't matter what they are saying about it now. That's what I needed to do. So that's a big question for the movie, right? Like, how can they balance this? But it's almost like he felt the need to reassure her that he didn't kill those men. Because why would Lois think that he killed them? The fact that he felt the need to tell her, I didn't kill those men, if that's what they think. Right. Or maybe he just needs to say it out loud, you know, even to just kind of say it to himself as well. That they're wrong. But here he's going to still try to be his optimistic self. And he's trying to tell Lois, you know, that we can balance this. We can have our personal relationship and have Superman. Just if the world would let them do it. And I think being Superman allows him to be careless like this with property and yeah, flooding and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they do reference flood the apartment. So later we're going to have Jonathan's story about flood. Right. So this, again, is the falling motif bruce is coming down so he is still fallen he's down underground and now he's got this suit on but he was just brutally branding a guy <laughs> so i like alfred in this movie i like this version of him i think uh, this version is based off of the version of alfred that was in mi6 when he was younger. Oh, he right, seems, right. He seems very knowledgeable about tech and all sorts of espionage, sort of. Yeah. Is that sort of like uh, the Batman Earth 1 by Jeff Johns kind of version, too? Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Mm. I think he has kind of like a security, military kind of background there instead of uh, right. just being a foppish butler. So now, as the audience, we should recognize Knaizev because Lois saw him. But Bruce doesn't know that. Bruce doesn't know Knaizev was there in Africa. 
So like we in, as the audience, we need to remember that we have more information than than Bruce does at this point in some ways. So Alfred mentioned Phantasm, which I think is a a Batman animated movie. Oh right, right, Mask of the Phantasm or something. And there's they're discussing, you know, the white Portuguese and whether it's a him or not. So yeah. Bruce is still saying that it's a person. Yep. Alfred's now, the one sort of not blinded and suggesting that maybe it's not a person or or at least not a him. Right. Now, Alfred is giving us some good insight in where Bruce's mindset is right now because Alfred is the one person who knows Bruce entirely, and he's basically letting us know Bruce has turned a dark corner. <laughs> uh, things have changed. He's gotten dark. He's gotten rage and vengeful. Um, and, and he so, says the feeling of powerlessness, that's important. That's where where Bruce is coming from. Yep, and I think that they emphasize that word like they had Jeremy Irons really articulate that word in kind of a unique way, which I think is because it's an important word and an important theme for the whole movie. And it, he certainly felt powerless when Robin died. Yeah, definitely. So it's so sort of now look at the, reminding him of that. The uh, shift in colors, right? So we were just down in the dark black Batcave. Now this, you know, white walls, white t-shirt, uh, LexCorp. He's trying to present himself, you know, more as the pure good side where Bat, uh, Bruce is down in the dark at this point. So we already get, right away we get references to Lex's father, right? So even though we don't see his father, he plays a big role in this movie. Waving at tyrants. So you really got to pay attention to this movie. <laughs> this is why I feel like people that gave negative reviews to this movie but only watched it once, I just feel like that's not really giving it a chance because look how, look how important all these lines are that are going by so fast. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Now this right here... This guy talking is the actor's Ralph Lister, and he actually is playing a character, Emmett Vale, who in the comics creates Metallo, whose heart is made of kryptonite. Right, right. Yeah, I was kind of hoping to see Metallo in maybe like a Man of Steel 2, but I'm not as confident in that anymore. So here we have a whale. So he's calling the kryptonite a whale. And... Bruce is, it's basically Bruce's white whale. Yep, that's what I was thinking too. So right now Lex is basically testing the waters if he can legitimately bring in this kryptonite and if the government will kind of be on his side to stand up and have something against Superman. But Finch is not having it. And this is Senator Barrows who was, whose name came up in Action Comics number one. So for Lex, this is a bigger thing, right? This is actually about metahumans in general, not just Superman, but Superman is the, the first one. He's the sort of symbol of the others, and Lex wants to basically take him out, I think. Right, so he already knows that there are others like Superman, and he wants to stop them all. Yeah, so he's kind of being coy that it's like, you know, kind of a hy hypothesized thing, but he already has evidence of the others. And he, the whole purpose of weaponizing the kryptonite, he said, was... Basically to avoid that tyrannical, uh, you know, scenario that his father was in. Right. Which is what we see in the Injustice future. So here Lex is basically seeing how much he has Senator Barrows in the palm of his hand. And it turns out he basically has him entirely in the palm of his hand. And these are like flash forwards. They're showing us what 
he will be getting as he's talking to Senator Barrows. Yeah, yeah, that made sense to me right away, and I, don't, I was surprised that so many people were confused by it and said, oh, it's choppy editing. I'm like, no, they're basically, he's negotiating for this stuff, and then we're getting the visualization of what he's getting. I love the Lex theme. And his wardrobe for this movie is spot on with uh, Birthright. Birthright, definitely the in the hair, yeah. And it is kind of like a hipster sort of CEO type right. of wardrobe, too. Yeah, I was just about to say that. So now Lex is like... Yeah. <laughs> he's... He made has... it sound like it was Senator Barrow's idea. <laughs> and Lex has the upper hand and he knows it, so he's basically playing it for everything he can. And here we see him as a mad scientist, which Lex started out as in the comics. Right, mad scientist. His lab coat. Yeah. Right, before the businessman thing was later. This one kind of mixes a little bit of both of those. So at this point, he's already been inside the ship, so he has knowledge of what's inside, and he now he's cutting the fingerprints. Mm-hmm. To use later when the time is right. So I loved this Jolly Rancher scene. Some people have given it a hard time, but I mean, it's look at how uncomfortable Barrows is, and Lex is basically like, "Yep, I basically." <laughs> have played you, I have you. I thought it was a really great, memorable way to just show Lex's domination of Senator Barrows. So now she's asking, whose hero is Superman? Now this is different from the theatrical cut. Right, because here he's just hearing about the Bat branding in the theatrical cut, but now it's more of this uh Which African lives testimony. count? It's just like Zod. Who, you know, who, how does he choose who lives and who dies? Right, and how and does Man he deal with the weight of having to make those choices? So now we just had, you know, the woman asking about how does he decide, who does he answer to, and now we have these clippings of his heroics, but it kind of puts a different spin on those heroics. Like, every time he's doing something heroic, was there actually something that he wasn't doing, or did it benefit some people, but did it work against others, or did it have repercussions? So it really kind of complexifies the whole idea of superheroics and that it's not straightforward. Good and evil is not always clear-cut. Now, in the comics, there is a Superman statue, but it's actually used for his crypt. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting here that they, they built a statue as sort of uh, after the events of Man of Steel, sort of acknowledging him as a hero. Yeah, and I guess uh, Zack Snyder actually came up with the pose for the statue, and he did it physically for the like production designers to show them how he wanted it to look. And for Zack Snyder, it was this idea of Superman being the bridge from like Earth to the heavens. And like mm. we already talked about, this movie is a lot about like the relationship between man and God, and if man can accept a God type of person over them, or if man tries to bring them down. Uh, and Superman is trying to be the bridge, but the world sort of is rejecting him as the bridge. Now we get Lois's investigation is nudged forward a little bit. So I don't know if that's the same football game, but if it is the same football game, that might be a little bit of an error because I think Metropolis was like blowing out Gotham. But it might have been a, the next Gotham football game or something. And Perry just commented about how Gotham is a bad neighborhood. Right. So while Clark is being deemed to work on sports, Lois is continuing her investigation of the bullet with the lab. 
Again, and now now we see what exactly Keith wrote on the statue. Yeah, we get the whole false god, which of course is connects right to a lot of the main themes. And I love the use of the media, like I said before, but that's also kind of an homage to The Dark Knight Returns, because The Dark Knight Returns had right. the talking heads like all the time throughout the comic. Yeah. And I think that the media is not just a way to get information to the audience. I think the media is actually part of what they're trying to comment on in this movie. Like, they're commenting on the, me the yeah. media picking up a narrative and then whipping up the public towards that narrative, but maybe it was a prejudgmental narrative, or maybe, you know, maybe people are getting manipulated by somebody at the top uh, without now, realizing Presumably that was Metropolis that Clark was seeing from the distance. In this, in this extended cut, we're seeing that it's just a ferry ride away to get to Gotham. Right. So now he's supposed to be working on sports, but he's, he's definitely trying to follow up with the African witness. So this gives a little bit more development to why Clark might have some animosity towards the Batman. Yeah, he starts hearing some of these stories about the Batman. But again, it's it's complex. It's not straightforward. So some people see Batman as a good thing. He's helping out. He's only hurting bad people. But then others are kind of like, well, he's he's angry. He's kind of scary. See, and he actually says there's a new kind of mean in him. So Batman hasn't always been this sort of ruthless vigilante. He's had a code of ethics. And he's sort of gone off the deep end in this movie. Yeah. And now again we have Bruce underground. We have his that motif of him kind of being down or below. I think this is a great way to show that Bruce is a very good fighter without actually having him fight. Right, it's by absolutely. him he, he can read a fight and know strategically what you need to do. So he's a very tactical fighter. Nice shot of the phone. That'll be important in just a second. Beautiful. So that is the theme you were talking line, about. Yeah, you, yep. you talked about this one before, about how what's good for one might be bad for another. We'll get some allusion to Bruce's womanizing, which we'll see a little bit later, too. And he talks to him to sort of buy some time to copy the phone. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So now Clark is making a pitch, right? Like, this is an important story that we need to cover. Not not sports, but Perry's not quite having it yet. I like Perry, Perry. and yeah, <laughs> Perry and Alfred bring a lot of the humor to the movie. And he's basically saying, you know, I I warned you before you went to keep you know hide your lunch money. <laughs> so now that's the question of what is the American conscience right now, and we're kind of exploring it in this movie, I think. What's our relationship with God? What's our relationship with good and evil? What's our relationship with uh, people who are other than ourselves? So Lois has made some progress on her investigation. I think it's interesting to see the dynamics to, to how Perry responds to Clark and how Perry responds to Lois. Right, he's got so much more history and respect for Lois as a journalist. Well, I like that his his pretty much all his responses are basically like, a reaction to, why aren't you giving me more information than what you're giving me? Mm -hmm. It's like, get to the point, you know? You're not telling me anything new. Yeah. 
And so here's the bullet is now exposed to Clark and she had been hiding it before. So now we hear Clark refer to her as Low. No one else calls her Low. And the fact that Lex later refers to her as Low indicates to us that he's probably tapping their phones or sort of surveilling them somehow. Oh yeah, that's kind of creepy to think about it that way. Um, that's a little bit of an extra connecting the dots for audience members. So like in the theatrical cut, I totally sort of followed how everybody arrived at the party, but here it just makes it more obvious to the audience that Lex was, you know, pulling the strings to get everybody to the party. Uh, Seeing Lex in this scene sort of um, gives us a look into Lex from the death of Superman uh, where it was actually Lex Luthor Jr. in that. And there's actually an image of Lex from that storyline that looks just like an image of him leaning back, drinking his whiskey. Yeah. Now, again, we have Lex's father. So, like, we've had Lex in two scenes, and his father has been central to both of them. So, for people who said, like, I can't, I don't get what's going on with Lex, it's like, well, if you listen, he definitely has some daddy issues. And in this version, he's even talking about kind of that he still sort of admires his father, even though he hates him, wants him to come back, even though he's angry with him. I love the mannerisms of Lex, too, I thought. Like, to me, I liked the Lex character right away, first time I saw the movie. And, you know, they could always go the direction of... Uh, I mean, they probably won't, but they could go the direction of the death of Superman Lex, where it's actually the original Lex in a new body. Hmm. Pretending to be, you know, his own son. Yeah. So I think what's really interesting here is we just saw Lex with Senator Barrows in the palm of his hand, and now Lex is trying to kind of do the same thing, smooth talk, Finch, and it is not working. She basically just rebuffs him straight up. And Lex does not take it well. <laughs> See, if only Batman and Superman were as astute as Holly Hunter is here. Yeah. And seen through his, his uh, mind games. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think the female characters, they seem to have more insight than the male characters do in a lot of senses. Like Finch sees right through Lex. Lex or uh, Lois can tell something was fishy with Africa right away. And Wonder Woman, she's more down to business. Like if Doomsday's here, we need to stop Doomsday. She like doesn't get into this right. petty petty squabbles with other heroes. And that painting was uh, inspired by Milton's Paradise Lost, I believe. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing, too. So we've been talking already about the above and below, and that one takes them and thinks, are they inverted? So now we're, we have the above and below, but now we have to also ask, you know, Batman, who's down low and underground, is he actually the good guy? Because is it kind of this reversal? Superman's in the sky. Is he actually the threat? Um, and Lex is kind of, you know, Lex is rejecting the gods and angels in the sky. There's Martha to remind saw, us of her name. And we just saw St. Michael with Superman's colors and the stained glass inside the crypt so this yeah this the first time I saw it I knew it was like you know kind of a a scare uh, jump take but I wasn't sure conceptually what to make of this but I think it's basically just the idea that his parents death is still haunting him that's still the monkey on his back or the man bat in his face pretty creepy though 
And of course, there's a Batman villain called the Man Bat, who is psychologically is very much what Bruce is going through in this movie. So we get some pills, we get some wine, we have a woman who we don't even get to see her face. She's kind of like a no-name woman. So Bruce is in a pretty negative place, like he's in a dark place. And he's certainly portrayed as an alcoholic, similar to Dark Knight Returns. Get the silhouette of the physique. So he still has the physique, but psychologically he's pretty damaged. So the production designer in the art of the film book, they talk about how they wanted this to be very open, you know, all windows and looking out, but that that's a facade. Like Bruce is not actually that open. He's actually very secretive and self-contained. And so the Batcave is really more his real psychological state, not this open glass house. This is a fake kind now, of false front. Alfred just made a joke about the wine, so that was also from Dark Knight Returns. And here we see Batman is being, or Bruce is being led to Lex based on what's on Anatoly's phone. Mm -hmm. And I like seeing some of this detective work by Bruce. Uh, that's a big part of the character that we haven't always gotten in the movies. But it's clear that Lex wants Bruce to come to him. So he's luring him both ways, as Batman and as Bruce. Yeah, Lex just pulls so many strings in this, it's amazing. So here we just heard Bruce saying, Bruce basically wants to do this as Batman. He wants to prove that his beautiful lie is not a lie. He wants Batman to be like his salvation. Uh, but now it's like, no, Bruce Wayne is the one that you can go and he's kind of frustrated that his Batman, all the work that he's done as Batman so far hasn't led to anything. And it's still not leading to anything except for the death of friends, family. And there's Robin's suit which t indicates to us that Joker killed Robin. Yeah, and then with Suicide Squad, we see that Harley might have been an accomplice to that. So right. I don't, this is one thing, you know, in the extended cut, it's R-rated, so you can have a little butt cheek like that, but I don't think it was really necessary. You could have just had the shoulders up in the shower. Well, this I is think Zach also Snyder's car, by the way. I think also symbol symbolically he feels naked without the, the, the bat suit. Yeah, but I think you could do that with the shoulders and the back. Like, you didn't need to actually have the cheeks. <laughs> so here he's got his Bruce Mobile instead of the Batmobile. So Clark, so Clark doesn't know who Bruce Wayne is. Right. He's been starting to follow the Batman story, but he has no idea about Bruce Wayne or anything. He's not up on all the Gotham, uh, the power players in Gotham. So this is a library fundraiser, but it's at Lex's house. This was filmed at my alma mater, Michigan State, the Eli and Edith Broad Museum. I used to walk by this every day going to class. Um, but yeah, it's a very cool building. There's one, or Diana. So we see Diana there. She has to have an invitation to be there. So that means Lex wanted her there. Mm -hmm. I love the, uh, the like gold uh, around the neckline that Diana has on. It's very reminiscent of her Wonder Woman stuff. See, and Lex considers himself a philanthropist. He believes in humanity. He, but he views himself as a protector of, of humanity. So he's, to, when he talks about Zeus and Prometheus, he's viewing, viewing himself as Prometheus. Mm -hmm. So he's really trying to position himself as he's the defender of mankind, lover of mankind. Wonder Woman's not buying the Zeus story. 
<laughs> right. Um, but yeah, you're right. So Lex is Lex is kind of talking himself up as the defender of mankind, the lover of mankind, not God. Um, but really, I'm not sure if Lex loves mankind. I think it's more that just Lex hates God or the idea of God. And we just saw Mercy keeping tabs on Bruce. I oh, yeah. him. Yep, they know exactly what's going on. This is all according to Lex's plan, like he said. Of course, the fact that Diane is there, Bruce can see her and know that she is among us so that when he gets the files, he can recognize her in the files. This got a good laugh when I watched it uh, opening weekend. And yeah. again, it's like, you know, it might seem like, oh, that's not very convincing. It seems suspicious. But the thing was, Mercy was just fake checking in on him. She wanted him to actually go through with what he's doing. Right. So that's why she's willing to buy his, you know, his fib. Another good Alfred Another joke. Another joke from Alfred. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the thing here, you know, there's Debbie Stabenow, senator from Michigan. But uh, she's playing the governor. But here, like, Lex gets tripped up, not just because he's manic type of whatever, but he gets tripped up because he was saying that if you, you know, knowledge is power, which is basically him admitting, wait a minute, does that mean I'm powerful? Because he likes to think himself as the underdog. And Clark was witnessing that, but doesn't quite, you know, Clark has no reason to be suspicious of Lex at this point. He's just a quirky, you know, millionaire, billionaire. So. so now Clark, knows, well, at this point, has a clue that Bruce is Batman because he overheard him. Mm-hmm. So he confronts him about Batman. Yeah, and now we see Clark, you know, has a very kind of idealistic concern for rights. Uh, but Bruce is in a, coming from a different place. But I think it's important here that Bruce is seeing Clark is concerned about Batman. That plays an important role in their fight later on. So here we, we get a little bit of this insight that Bruce has not only kind of damaged himself, but he's taking it out on Superman and he's frustrated every time he sees Superman getting all this praise and stuff. Again, every time Superman gets praise, you might think about how that just reminds Bruce that he's relatively powerless compared to Superman. Reference to Joker. Great line. Yeah, perfect. And it also makes the connection to how he's still thinking about how Robin was killed. Yeah. So here, Lex is totally playing this up like it's a game. Like, Lex knows who these guys are. And so when he makes his comment about don't pick a fight with this, that's like an inside joke for Lex to himself. <laughs> Lex just thinks, you know, I'm smarter than everybody here. I'm playing everybody like puppets. See, now he's telling Bruce, my R&D's up to uh, all, no good and we should partner up on something. So he knows that Bruce is going to be getting those files. He's hoping that he'll reach out to him. Mm-hmm. So I thought this was brilliant how they use Clark's hearing to be the way that he kind of like taps into Bruce and starts to get curious about Bruce. I like the way they filmed it too, about just the reaction shots of Clark. You can tell that Clark is hearing the earpiece that Bruce has. So here's an example of of Clark having to choose mm -hmm. where you know which direction to go. He has to go save those people. 
at the cost of letting Bruce go. Right. This is great, too. I love this. Bruce is like, what? <laughs> He's not used to being outsmarted or outplayed. And that and, little uh, song, the little uh, motif, oh, yeah. the audio motif. Yeah, the first Diana. little hint of the Wonder Woman theme. But it's, uh, yeah, it's like the Batman theme, but it did start with that little hint of Wonder Woman. But yeah, so we get a little bit of the uh, pulling the tie. So we don't get a full shirt rip, but we get the tie loosening. <laughs> now, I wonder if we're supposed to take that Clark speaks Spanish there. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so Bruce... Bruce is intrigued by that woman, but he's also frustrated that somebody kind of outmatched him. So, beautiful shot here. And they do this in a one-er. Like, this isn't going to be a long shot tracking all the way over. But, man, just look how great that looks. So, this is the Day of the Dead, and here's an immortal that supposedly can't die. So, they're wor and they're showing, worshipping him. Because mm -hmm. he supersedes their, you know, the idea of death. And here, more talking heads coming up. Yeah. I like here, too. According to Dark Knight Returns. I think Cavill did a great job acting there, too, just on his face. He doesn't want everybody reaching out and worshipping him like a god. He just wanted to help save that girl. And I think it's great because these, these talking heads are basically telling you what this movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, these it's are basically telling you what you know this movie addresses and yeah these are all everything that they bring up in just a little snippet are things that we can think about for a long time and we can take the whole movie and and use it to think about those questions so if anybody has any question about why you know they're viewing superman a certain way i mean the answers are all here mm -hmm. and the thing too is like before the african incident most of the coverage of Superman might have been positive because the media narrative might have been, oh, this guy's so impressive, it's amazing what he can do. But then the media follows a different narrative once they get something that instigates it. So the African incident was enough to change the narrative, and now the media is like, hey, just like we saw Perry, oh, maybe we should start running stories about is the love affair over? And so the media starts following this new narrative. And I think that happens a lot. It's like the media... They're not just reporting news and stuff. They're following what the narrative is of the day. And they're actually kind of pushing the narrative of the day. This flood scene is right out of Earth 1 comics. Mm -hmm. yeah, and there was some of the earlier ones was Peace on Earth. Uh, visual references, at least. But this is that decision like you talked about before. Like, Superman's here at the flood. Who does he save first? You know, right. How does he approach it when there's all these people that need help? What do you do? And, of course, also referring to Jonathan Kent's story about the flood. All right, yep, yeah, that's our second flood reference, and that'll be the other one with Jonathan. So Finch is very pragmatic. You know, there is a Superman here, so we need to decide what our relationship is going to be with him. So Clark uh, is struggling with this whole talk, and here in the extended cut, he calls his mom. Yeah, I think this is a nice addition. I think this is one of the strongest parts of the extended cut, right? Like, yeah. Clark has the weight of the world starting to press down on him, and so he calls one of the two people in his life that he can really kind of open up with. And I think it's just good to have a little connection with Martha Kent 
so that we feel it even more when she's in danger later. And here he's actually talking to her. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> complain in the later scene that he doesn't talk. Right. But, you know, so with the extended cut, you, you do see him interact with her. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and so he... Now, to me, this is an interesting meta-commentary on the character of Superman. He says, I wish it was more simple. So, in past versions of Superman, it was more simple. Like, Superman basically just did the right thing. He always found a way to save the day. And it was clear-cut, good and bad. That was, you know, some of the old classic Superman. But what they're doing here is they're bringing the complexity. And he has to now deal with the complexity of a realistic world. And he kind of wishes it were simpler, but it's not. We don't live in a simple world. So now she said she's never seen a metal like this. It's very possible that Lex used the metal from uh, the Kryptonian technology because in Man of Steel, uh, the metallurgists couldn't identify the command key. Mm -hmm. Let me get a little bit more investigating. So we have Lois investigating, we have Clark investigating, and we have uh, Bruce trying to figure out the white Portuguese stuff. So and we the see that there's at least one other person who's gotten the bat brand. And so now Clark's going to follow up on that lead. So interestingly enough, he was brought to Metropolis, even though he was in Gotham. Oh yeah, now didn't catch this. That first. This means that Lex has even more control over, uh, you know, having him killed. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit smoother of a transition there because Clark is researching the prisoners, then we go to the prisoner with the brand, and then that brings us right to Wally in jail getting released. So there's a little bit of a smoother flow of those scenes. I will give that to the extended cut. Now this, to me, was funny. I think it was meant to be funny, the dramatic turn by the villain. And then Lex, you know, theme stated here where he literally says, I'm just a man. He's trying to side with mankind against God. And then Lex is a, is he, he a jerk. He actually curses here. He doesn't curse in the theatrical cut. Yeah. But again, Lex is just like playing with people like a game, like making that comment about standing for something to a, somebody right, who's right. lost their legs. And there's also, he says a little more about losing his wife. Mm-hmm. My so wife Wally walked out on me. Right. So Wally has, you know, these grievances and he's really directing it towards Superman, but Lex is totally just using Wally as a pawn. You know, Lex doesn't have any compassion for Wally. So here now we get the uh Knizev setting up the hit. Right, and that's our clue that Lex is behind this guy getting killed. Now, this is pretty brutal. Oh, man. So do you think he knows? Uh, he kind of knows. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Uh, the audio there is pretty gruesome going in and out. All right, so now we have uh, General Swanwick is now Secretary Swanwick. So he's in the 18 months he's been promoted Secretary of Defense. 
and Ferris is also from Man of Steel. Now, Ferris sounds a lot like Ferris. I wonder if they were trying to link that to Green Lantern. Yeah, I think I think it's at least a little nod, or possibly they're setting something up that could be explored in the future. Um, but again, like Lois is just uh, she's very uh, you know forward. She puts herself out there when she's investigating something. She goes for it. Yeah, so and this he's, further explains what happened to people who were having difficulty following the story. Right. Or maybe maybe might be a little confused. Yeah, and Swanwick doesn't say that Superman killed people. He just said people died, but you and Superman were there. So you kind of have some responsibility for the situation, even though you're not directly responsible. This is funny to you. But this is continuing the dynamics between these two. And this whole conversation is loaded. Yeah, definitely. And 1938 is a reference to Action Comics number one, I believe. Nice little meta comment there. I like how they use that in the trailers too, but Clark can't take it. John Stewart wasn't in the theatrical cut. Yeah, which I'm glad he wasn't because, like, he, you know, he retired. It kind of seems out of place now. I'm used to Trevor Noah these days. I also think it was weird because there was no laughter at that joke, when if it was the real Daily Show, there would have been laughter. Mm. So That's that true. took me out of it a little bit, so I didn't miss it from the theatrical cut. So here it's a nice, you know, tracking shot here. But I do like the the, the transition better than just showing them at the sword. Yeah, that's true. It also shows why Diana's in Metropolis more than just, you know, necessarily Lex, but she's also kind mm -hmm. of, you know, there for business. So I didn't pick this up before either, but he was talking about a king who was also a psychopathic killer. So that's, again, a leader who becomes sort of a tyrant or uh, a ruler who's, who is evil. Who's also named Alexander. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's also like what Lex is afraid of. Like, he's afraid of this tyrant who's actually brutal, or he's afraid of Superman, or Batman's afraid of Superman becoming that. But So clearly Bruce knows his stuff. He knows she that that one's a fake. Yep. But she's not impressed. <laughs> she, right. I like how she is just quietly stronger and is not uh, flustered by Bruce trying to play his alpha male thing. She's like, okay, buddy. And she must have already known that he was there because if it's already in his car... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's... If the leash is already in his car, then she, she had to have known he was already there. Right, and she's yeah, she's been a step or two ahead of him every time so far. And right. again, she has the gold kind of medal in her uh, costume here, connecting nicely to the Wonder Woman motif. See, I tend to think that was that's a reference to like Poison Ivy and Harley. Oh, the other women that he's known. Right. Yeah. Catwoman, maybe. True. Yes, exactly. Because she, 
He called her a thief. So here we get a little bit of a commentary on men as well. Men not sharing. when, And really we are seeing that, that Batman is not willing to kind of get along with Superman at all. So he's got the drive now, the files from Lex, but he has to decrypt them. So this is this is something that Bruce is able to do that Diana couldn't do. He is able to decrypt this. And clearly he has military-grade technology in order to be able to decrypt it. Yeah. So here we come. So, you know, we didn't see Bruce dozing off or anything. We just cut right to this. So I think that's part of what threw people off. And some people still think it was a dream. I, I view this as a vision that was able to break through because of the Flash messing with time-space continuum or whatever, space-time continuum. Now this looks just like Apocalypse with the fires yep. coming out of the ground. In, in the back, too. And we too. see the Omega symbol, which is and there's the dark side symbol. Wayne Manor was in the background, too. And that the desert with the Omega symbol is like the bay that used to be between Metropolis and Gotham. So now in the Injustice comics... Batman puts together a resistance against Superman. So presumably these are part of his resistance fighters. Yeah, that's what I took it as too. Yeah, he's got like a little uh, kind of rebellion team or something. Very cool costume. Reminiscent of the gaslight Batman. Yeah, with the coat and the collar. And the goggles. The, uh, I feel like Junkie XL helped out quite a bit on the music and the soundscape for this one, too. Very cool music. Mm, yeah. Otherworldly. And it's not like a Batman theme or a Man of Steel theme. It's a new kind of sound. So even in this vision of this future, he's still trying to get the kryptonite, just like he is in the real time. LexCorp. And this has a different feel than any of the other dreams that he has, or nightmares. So yeah. that further emphasizes that it this probably isn't a dream, that it's more of a vision. Yeah. I love how the sound cuts out, the, uh, the sound cuts out, makes it more intense there, when he's betrayed. And you see the Superman patch on their shoulders. They're obviously part of the Superman regime. And they're brutal. They just start shooting rather than taking them in. So this was mostly uh, Ben's stunt double, but he did a great job because this is a complicated move. They said it had like 110 or 115 or something. We had a count on it when we did our podcast episode. Uh, moves involved in this 360 camera pan. And Batman's using guns here, obviously. Oh, so yeah. So this is definitely like this apocalyptic world. And here we see the parademons flying in. Yeah. And uh, somebody on Twitter to today or yesterday just noticed that there are two different kinds of parademons. There's the ones that are a little bit more bug-like and thin, and then there's some that are a little bulkier and seem... I think we might see a close-up of one. Yeah, so now that... we just saw a symbol on the, the truck... That is sort of reminiscent of the swastika, but it also plays on the color scheme and design of the Injustice logo. Man, that was a great shot. 
all one shot going right around him, all that action in one shot. It's amazing. So here we've got him, and here comes the tyrant. Superhero landing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how the dust, though, comes forward. And here we use the focus again. Yeah, this pop. is a cool effect. Yeah, and pop it, comes it in. comes into focus. And the the kind of like gold beige color sort of matches uh, Batman here, but Superman really stands out. The red eye beams and the red and blue of the suit. And, and this is very jarring because we've never seen Superman be so evil. Right. And now he's totally exposing Batman as Bruce here, thinking, "Oh, that's Batman, just this cowl." Okay, so. So to me, this is this like potential future that we don't quite know, but Lois was taken from her, from him, and he blames Bruce for some reason. Right. And in the comics, it's Joker that kills Lois, who yeah. happened to be pregnant, and he kills Joker the way he killed Bruce there. Yeah, the hand right through the chest. So here's Flash with a like what I consider to be like a time travel suit on. I like it. I like the effect here for the time travel with the speed force. I also like that it seems like it's difficult for the Flash to time travel because if it was really easy, then he could just time travel all the time and it would be hard to write any kind of story because <laughs> you could always just undo it with some time travel. And this is something that Flash is known to do. He did it in Crisis on Infinite Earths and he did it recently with Rebirth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's... You know, to me, the key thing was when he says... I'm, am I too soon? So he was trying to come back to give a message to Bruce, but he missed the right time point. He came back too early. Yeah, he, and I think that's important because, you know, if someone's coming back in time to the wrong time, then it's going to be sudden and abrupt like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that that whole abrupt nature of the Injustice vision and Flash showing up, it fit perfectly with realistically how it would, you know, come off. Yeah. I do so I mean I do think it's a fair criticism for somebody who says that nightmare sequence and the flash time travel was confusing or if they said I wasn't really sure what to make of it that's a fair criticism I liked it and to me I connect it to the overall story of the movie because if Bruce sees a tyrannical superman and how vicious and horrible that would be then that gives Bruce more motivation to continue what he's doing which is to try to take out superman so to me it does connect to the main thrust of the movie so now right there, Bruce Wayne's look on his face was like, holy crap, white Portuguese is not a person, it's a ship. Mm -hmm. He had that, that look on his face, so you realize that, that at that point that he didn't know. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so Alfred's, um, you know, obviously helps him a lot because now he's kind of working on the Batmobile. Earlier he was working on the mech suit. And now, so now Bruce is coming clean. It's not about this dirty bomb, it's about the kryptonite. That's what it's been about this whole time. This is some great acting by Affleck right there. Good stuff. And it gets even better. And supposedly this was uh, the first take oh, wow. that they kept. And to me this is... He had so much passion that they kept the first take. That's cool. Uh, and to me, it's like both actors going, bringing their A-game, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the intensity. So now you had mentioned that 
this is the one percent uh, doctrine. Mm -hmm. But it's also uh, in Earth One, Volume Three. Zod is sort of giving this sim a similar explanation of why people should fear Superman. But at that point, they don't know Zod is a bad guy. Hmm. Yeah, so this is now, you know, it's not really just about the 1% doctrine. It, doctrine. It's about Bruce's background. He's had a lot of pain and a lot of loss. He's seen people turn bad. So Bruce is basically totally jaded, uh, totally cynical. Right, he's saying how many people stayed good. So yeah. he's basically saying Superman may not stay good. Right. And we can't take the chance. And the thing that Bruce doesn't see yet, but we the audience can see, is that Bruce himself is turning bad. He's he's doing what he's claiming Superman might do, which is to kind of, you know, lose his way of morality. Uh, and eventually Bruce will kind of realize that, oh crap, I'm the one that's, I've, I've been turning bad, I need to think about myself. So, again, it is nice to see some more Clark Kent investigating, so that's a nice thing about the extended cut. And I like it how Clark's investigations are not just gathering facts, it's talking to people. He's hearing people's stories and empathizing with them. <clears throat> so she's wearing a necklace that says Cesar in case there was any confusion of who she was dating. <laughs> but see, that comes into play in, the, in their fight right here. A yep. fist stops Batman. Right, so it plants that seed that maybe I need to physically stop Batman. Maybe I can't reason with him. <laughs> so it's he still is funny. Yeah, he he is from Kansas, so this makes sense. And it's uh, we had the Wizard of Oz reference earlier about the uh, Emerald City. So now we've we've got the white Portuguese here making a silvery. So he couldn't get his uh, import license, so now he, you know, his backup plan is to go through and just uh, smuggle it onto the U.S. property, or, in, you know, into his possession. And there we have, you know, a crate or a container that we ha has kryptonite in it, just like it did in the Nightmare sequence, the LexCorp container. Great shot. So this, to me, in theaters, this shot was amazing. It, it wowed me. And this, me. Is an, this is another scene from Dark Knight Returns with the rifle. Oh, yeah. Which, if, if this is the first time you're watching it, you're not sure what he's going to do with that rifle, but it turns out to just be firing a tracker. But, oh, yeah, that's good. Iconic Batman-type stuff. He roughly tried to time it with the door closing so that they wouldn't hear it hit. Now we get uh, some more good music from Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL. So presumably the, the terminal is closed at this hour. And they're using their own laborers to, to uh, work this vessel. Mm -hmm. Nicholson there, Jack Nicholson reference original Joker, or, you know, cinematic Joker. Uh, the power of the Batmobile. I think, was that the Wilhelm scream? I think it was, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, the power of the Batmobile here, though, is very clear. And I like, I love this, this tactic of, you know, 
of grappling something and then throwing it forward, which he does later with a human being, and here he does it with a vehicle. And actually, that didn't even seem like a... It was an actual cargo port. So clearly a lot of people are dying here, but <laughs> it's indirectly a result of Batman's actions. He's not specifically murdering them. Yeah, and so here to speak. they are opening fire on him first, clearly. And right. then he fires back. So it's not murder if it's self-defense. I mean, it, you could still... People could have different tastes about how much violence they're willing to take from Batman. But to me, the way I think about it is that this is a Batman who is going to a very dark place. And like Alfred said, you know, things have changed. He's kind of losing it. So... To me, this is not really the true Batman. This is a Batman who is dealing with some pretty tough psychological stuff, feelings of powerlessness and failure and stuff. And he's just getting more brutal. Because he can't deal with it. I like the design of the Batmobile, though. What do you think about the new Batmobile overall? Oh, I think it's probably the best design they've come up with. Yeah, I think it's a nice blend of, like, power, but also sleekness. <clears throat> Yeah, it sort of have, has like a sports car sort of feel to it, but the sturdiness of like a tank. Yeah. This was also filmed in Detroit, by the way. Um, Dan Newman, if you follow him on YouTube, you can find some. He was trying to track it when they were filming it in Detroit. So now I, I personally like this. He's, he's chasing after his white whale, and he goes <laughs> inside a fishing boat hmm. here. Oh, yeah, and he's literally chasing the white whale right in front of him. Good point. He's got anti-missile defense stuff there. Great shot from the back going through the fire. So clearly there's a lot of destruction, and granted these are bad guys, so that's why Batman's going after them, but if he had just let them go, then innocent people's lives wouldn't be put in danger yeah. as a result of his chase, and that's why Superman comes in and judges him for it. Right. Yeah, the the truckers and Lexus guys had a lot of firepower, which is kind of suspicious, but Batman was the one that really was causing the problem. Otherwise, they would have just gone and delivered it. Superman doesn't know what it is. Uh, I also and there's like the, the fuel. Yep, burning. I also just like how powerful Superman was compared to the Batmobile, because we just saw the Batmobile doing all of that stuff, and then he, it just bounces off of Superman. So these lines we analyzed in detail in the podcast. There's so much coming, we can't keep up with it here live. But this Do You Bleed, I think, was genius from Chris Terrio. Because it's really like this question of, are you human? Like, do you have humanity, or are you a god? It sounds like a threat, and that's how he, he sort of delivers it as a threat. But when you think about it, it's like, really, that's the question that Bruce is grappling with. He doesn't see Superman as having humanity. Doesn't empathize with him at all. Yet. And that entrance to the Batcave is certainly an interesting take. Yeah. Very well that, hidden. Right. I thought that was a cool idea. I could kind of tell that it was CGI when I watched it, 
Um, but I thought it was a cool conceptual idea of how to access the cave. The, the bat cave is an awesome design too. Um, just the stuff being suspended from the ceiling like a bat. Uh, but he has and all it's cool his... seeing seeing him without the cowl, but still in the bat suit. Yeah, very cool. We've seen that in the comics a lot. Yep. I like how the beeping uh, connect right to the beeping on that scene transition. LexCorp Research Park. So he had the tracker, but he didn't know where it was headed. Right. It was sort of a backup. Yeah, and and really he wanted to try to get it while it was on the truck because that's when it's at its most vulnerable. But his backup plan was, well, I'll put the tracker as a fallback plan just so I at least know where it ends up. So Mercy comes in. She tries to kind of join Lex and smile with him. He's looking at her very judgingly. Like, he doesn't smile back. Cool silhouette there with Lois and Swanwick. So she's taking the blame for people dying, and here we see the falling of the rain. Mm-hmm. So, theme stated there. How do we determine what's good? It's not... It's not cut and dried, black and white. Good's a conversation. We kind of have to negotiate and, and think about what's good in complicated situations. And she's kind of saying, too, you know, like, she represents the government. He's Superman. She's kind of saying, we need to get together and figure out what our balance of power is going to be. What's our relationship going to be? It's not just automatic. And I think people, because Superman's been around for 75 years, people just take it for granted. Like, oh, Superman is Superman. He does what he does. But they're they're taking a realistic version of this, and you would have to work out what those power dynamics are going to be. So again, Superman has the, the weight of the world now of him being called to testify and appear at Congress. So again, he goes to his mother to kind of think through it, talk through it. And really, he just wants to hear some affirmations, I think, from his mom. And he's just thinking about it. He doesn't really have a lot to say. He's just trying to process it. And here people give the Kents a hard time again. But to me, this it makes perfect sense. Like, she loves her son, first and foremost. So she's worried about him, and she's actually right that Superman doesn't owe it to the world to be a hero. He has to choose to be a hero, and it's always a choice. Every time he does something heroic, it's a choice that he's making. He's not obligated to be a hero. So now, <clears throat> now the witness sees that Lex's men are there, so she realizes that she's in danger. And that's what prompts her to go see uh, Senator Finch. Yeah, and so for me, like, I didn't need this subplot. I'm, I think it's okay that they cut it. The one thing is it does add a little bit more tension and layers to the capital scene, but I don't think it's needed for the the movie overall. Well, I mean, none of the stuff that was cut was needed. Yeah. And that's why we did get the theatrical cut that we got. See, and in... It goes right to this scene where 
where he says CI, confidential informant. So it's like, based on her testimony to Senator Finch, now he has that information. And now we're starting to, like, things have been kind of mysterious or, you know, unclear to this point, but now we're starting to get some answers. Like, now we know exactly what happened in Africa. The African witness is now coming clean about what was really going on. And Swanwick is figuring out, you know, what was going on with the bullet and stuff. So we're getting some answers now. Because you can't keep the audience, you know, unknowing for two hours. You have to give them some answers every once in a while. So now Lois has another layer to it. She realizes that she was used as bait to bring Superman there. So again, here we have a real person playing themselves, Soledad. And I think this is an interesting technique here to have, you know, Bruce watching the coverage of it. So we're kind of seeing what's really happening at the Capitol. We're also seeing Bruce reacting to what's happening at the Capitol. And Keith says that he has nothing, and that's what prompts Bruce to question the, about the checks. Right. And uh, Bruce's father is in a portrait behind him. His parents are still hanging over him. So this is a little extra scene here. Yeah, see, Lois is kind of putting all of it together. She's realizing that the hearing, there's all these, she realizes the implications of what was actually happening in Africa and how it's going to matter to what's happening next. So Finch's suspicions are correct, are uh, confirmed. And here is Lex. See, and she mentions puppet theater. He's hmm. treating everybody like a puppet. Mm-hmm. And there's... It seems casual, but he just sent Mercy to her death. Very nonchalant. So now Lex is coming back to Finch because he did not like being put in his place by Finch last time. So now he's trying to come back and assert himself Open above her. Open your eyes. I am your ghost. Pulp Clatura has uh, on Tumblr, who we cite no a lot, truce. has some good analysis of that ghost line. Bruce Wayne equals blind, like a bat. Blind like ironically. a bat. <laughs> nice. So Superman did arrive. And now we see Martha. Like, right when Superman arrives, we go to a shot of Martha because she was talking to him saying, you don't need to do that, but she can understand why he's going there. He didn't have to, but he chose to. <laughs> hot, hot seat. Hot seat. <laughs> and her name is June, which... He didn't let her call her that, but now he's calling her Junebug. So now he's basically saying that power is not innocent because there's a lot more responsibility on how to use that power. And you're responsible for all the wrongdoings that happen as a result of you using that power. Mm-hmm. Can I have... Oh. So he does get a little bit more to do here in the extended cut. But I thought he was a good character in the theatrical cut too. Oh. 
So the music, man, music's so good in so many spots here. Beautiful shot here, iconic shot. The camera going up while Superman's coming down and then the protesters. So ba basically a bunch of anti-Superman protesters. With just a couple pro-Superman people sprinkled in. But yeah, mostly anti-Superman. He lands you know, outside and then walks up the steps and he walks here. So he's humbling himself before the government, the power of the people. So Alex knew that today was going to be the hearing, so he sent and that the explosion would happen. So he sends that letter, that newspaper clipping, to sort of add fuel to the fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is a great shot, straight at camera when he's coming in the room. All the the room quiets down. Everybody looking at him. Very well done. And seeing Here's Superman in this setting here. is very profound because it's this godly figure in. A man, man's infrastructure. Yeah. And the hands clasped in front is a more humble posture than behind your back. Behind your back kind of pu um, pushes your chest out, which is a more assertive stance. He's taking a more humble stance. And he's, he's just going to take it. She's going to talk all tough to him. He's just going to listen. So now Superman did look in Keith's direction, but because of... The lead lining in the, sh the chair, he didn't see the bomb. Right. And it doesn't even cross his mind that he might be walking into this bomb devastation. You know, why would he think that? He's Right, and he wouldn't have actively turned on his x-ray vision. So, this was one thing that even the very first time I saw the movie, I loved this scene. How they really build the suspense here. Like we know, yeah, and, I, and I think because it lasts so long, there is more tension. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people complain that this lasted a bit long, but I, I think that helped to create that tension before the that climax, of the explosion. Hmm. Oh yeah, I thought I thought every moment of it was just enhancing that suspense and tension. There's another because superhero also, movie from like this no year. There's no music playing, so it's very quiet. Right. There's another movie that has. Uh, explosion that's sort of similar to this and to me that one just happens so fast it couldn't even be any tension this one to me builds the tension so that this is now this big release of the tension like oh man like we knew Lex had something up his sleeve but to actually see the capital explode like that that's pretty cruel of Lex like now now we know like whoa Lex is actually much worse than we might have suspected before now Get, and on the, the television, you saw Superman at U.S. Capitol, and you're you're linking that with the explosion. So, yeah. first thing that's going to come to people's mind is, what did Superman do? Yeah. And I totally empathized with Superman in that fireball moment. I thought the acting was great, the music was great. And to me, I just really felt for Superman because I was with him thinking, like, okay, he is humbling himself. He's coming to try to answer your questions and console the people who are worried about him, about what he's doing. And then he's like, geez, even when I do this, it turns out badly. It's out of, you know, yeah. it's, it's not by his own doing, but just where he goes somewhere, he can't win. Right, and the explosion already happened at that point. You know, he couldn't save those people. Oh, yeah, but that, like, to me, that never even crossed my mind until I heard other people complaining about that. But here, after the fact, he's helping people out. But, like, inside the fireball, that's the moment that the fireball's happening. Right.
And so here he's, you know, he's just seeing. But now even the, even the uh, EMTs are judging Superman. They're sort of like telling him to go away. Yeah. Like they don't trust him. Yeah, so he's not only seeing the death and destruction that followed him, even though it wasn't directly his fault, and he's also feeling that people are now looking at him differently and reacting to him. Lois, though, of so course, now she's... he's feeling this sense of, of helplessness and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. That he can't, you know, he, all the good that he tries to do is, it doesn't, doesn't help. Yeah. So this is some more new footage, or extra footage, I should say. Yeah, I think this is also important because we see, uh, we see more of the checks that were sent back to Bruce, and one of which actually has a picture of the Capitol building in flames. Oh, right. And these checks are sent monthly. Oh, yeah. So that means that, you know, within the last month, Lex had to have already had the, this idea in his head. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... It's kind of hard to tell exactly how much time has passed since that 18-month um, time marker. I think that it's been several months since then. So now we're like two full years after Man of Steel. We're like 18 months plus like another six or eight months. So now, again, it's like, you know, they don't show it to us, but we connect the dots. Like, that was the final straw for Batman when he saw that capital bombing. So he went full out and went and got that kryptonite. And I, li I like that they didn't show it to us. I like that it's like, oh, yeah, this is like the aftermath of what Batman did, and we know why he did it. That is a pretty cool little shot, though. Definitely. S security footage. That basketball <laughs> is has been shot and deflated. The sign is... Malfunctioning LexCorp sign. I guess it does make you curious what it was like for Batman to go in here and get this because of all the destruction around and stuff, but I really don't think they needed so, it to show us. I think the important thing is that Batman took it, and now Batman's so going on. So the way that it looks like... First of all, you could tell he smiles there. He definitely smiles. Yeah. He clenches his teeth and the, the, the curves of his mouth go up but the fact that the batarang was in there but it looked like there was an explosion from inside coming out hmm. indicates that Batman must have left that bat batarang as like a symbol a message mm -hmm. yeah that's how I took it too so we got the Washington Monument in the background that definitely seems on purpose So is Superman kind of representing American power? I know Chris Terrio in one of the interviews, he said that he is kind of exploring America as the sole superpower, and Superman is the sole superhero at this point. And this is true for Man of Steel, that in Man of Steel, Jonathan Kent did want Superman to stand before people and become, you know, a hero like this, but Jonathan Kent was just saying, you, you need to do it at the right time, don't do it too early. So we got this appeal to hope, but 
he's kind of losing his grasp on hope a little bit. It's kind of just been one too many things kind of piling on him. The negativity, the negative repercussions, the things that are out of his control. He's just trying to do the right thing, but bad stuff follows him around because of the way hum- humanity reacts and because of people like Lex. Yeah, and Lois is telling Superman that the S stands for something, whereas in Man of Steel, he was telling her. Mm-hmm. So now, now that Lex has bombed the capital, he is ready to go into the next phase of his plan here with the ship. So he's identified himself as Zod. So that's why he's not attacked by the the floating uh, robot. Yeah. And here we have the, you know, partially destroyed ship from Man of Steel. Again, I just love all the threads that they carry forward from Man of Steel. Yeah. This is all the liquid that came out of the Genesis chamber. Right. So that's Zod's key is how I've taken that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because Zod had taken over the scout ship when he deleted Jor-El in Man of Steel. And now he presses so now, it all the way in. Yeah. So now he's pushing it in. And being the one entering the command key, he's the one who's taking command. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was funny to me. The, uh, so whoever enters the for... command key takes command. Yeah, because that's how like uh, Clark was able to take command too when it wasn't really his key. It was his dad's command key, but Clark was able to take command of the ship when he found it in the ice. Right. So I like this uh, the workout scene because they gave Bruce very down-to-earth kind of workout routine. He's got a tire, he's got a chain, he's got a sledgehammer. Um I believe so, the AI that from the ship was also voiced by the one the actress who played this uh, Silk Spectre in Watchmen. Oh, cool. So he's working out physically, but he's also preparing the kryptonite sample. And we're seeing how much energy is required to actually cut through the kryptonite. Yeah. Which is a lot. Yep. And Man of Steel Answers has a really good episode on the kryptonite basically explaining why the spear is the most logical thing to make if there was something that was more logical to make bruce would have made it so it's like weird for audience members to think that they know more about the kryptonite than bruce does and the kryptonite gas was actually also used in the dark knight returns Mm -hmm. so you got the spearhead there um so there if we look on the screen we can see the metahuman folders. So obviously Lex knew that Bruce was going to get this and see this footage. Yeah. And recognize Diana from the party. Because he's trying to get Bruce to take out these metahumans, which he was explaining in uh, to Senator Fitch at the beginning. Uh, they're among us and they need to be taken out. Mm-hmm. And I like this here, too, how if you watch closely, you can tell how Lex gathered this. So, like, this is security footage, but it runs facial recognition. So because Diana was recognized, that's how Lex knew to get that clip. 
you know, otherwise how would he know out of the, you know, thousands and thousands of hours of footage, how would he know to grab that clip? It's because her face was recognized in the And clip. again, it said 2015 in the corner of that surveillance footage. Nice. So, I love the drums, the Wonder Woman drums coming in here, and this photo is just awesome. Like, Chris Pine. I, yeah. When I saw this the first time, I was just wowed. Like, oh, this is actually like a shot inside of the Wonder Woman film from next year. And the Im the image, the picture actually is is used. Uh, uh, there's a similar photo from that time period that they modeled it after. Yeah, that's very cool. A very good uh, replica here of Michael Shannon. His face and then a, a doubles body, but it looks good. And the comics, Lex, on many instances, have has cloned... Uh, Superman and his own blood. So he's basically doing the same thing here. He's taking Kryptonian DNA and his own DNA. Of course, in the comics, it resulted in Bizarro, which is also another deformity. Mm -hmm. But this is very, you know, very Lex Luthor. This is something he's done in the comics several times. Yeah, so for me, I didn't mind Doomsday being shown in the trailer, but if he hadn't been shown, people might be wondering right now if it's going to be Bizarro or if it's going to be like a new version of Doomsday. Because at true. this point, you might think it's going to be like a Bizarro Zod, you know, but still be kind of like the size of a person and look like Michael Shannon. Um, but instead, we get the Doomsday, a much bigger, larger monster based on just Zod's corpse. But I didn't mind knowing that Doomsday was going to end up. I was still very surprised that Superman died. I did not know we were getting a Death of Superman story when I went in to watch it. So now, right there, they were sort of explaining, as Jenny was reading back the article, it sort of explained the mind state that the public is in, mm -hmm. of why they're blaming Superman for what happened, or at least making him culpable yeah, like, so they kind of know that this Wally guy was there, but they still are sort of thinking, like, well, if Superman hadn't been there, it's kind of still Superman's fault by just being there. So here's I a little bit of... I know you like this scene a lot. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, I like the lines that they have. It does connect to some things, but I don't think it was really needed either. But like you said, nothing was really needed. The theatrical version worked very well. So I'd say he wears warm clothes because he still feels cold. Like, just because he has super strength and imperviousness doesn't mean that he doesn't have temperature. He's come to die, foreshadows come... Yeah, that he will die. Almost maybe too blatant of a foreshadowing, actually, but not bad. So here, Lois, again, her journalistic antenna goes up. Like, there's something else that I... she's still piecing it all together. And they're still saying Superman could have been a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. And see, here we see Lex is waiting. Yep. We, we, this indicates that, you know, he, he is going up to the top of, of his building and, and checking. Yeah, nice shot. So, Keith's apartment now, pretty... So, like, Lex's people came and just kind of dressed it up? Is that how you interpret this? Like, yeah, Lex had some had people be... dress it up, make it look a little bit more crazy, sure. a little bit more... Sure, yeah. I mean, they obviously planted the bomb-making materials. Yeah. 
Man, they went pretty extreme with it. <laughs> but they didn't think to check the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were basically thinking of what they wanted to add to the apartment. They didn't think about actually subtracting things to make sense. So she's she's with it. She's pretty smart. So now she can connect the bullet and the wheelchair, so it's all coming together. So in the theatrical cut, you know, Lois is the one that gathered evidence and was able to tie things to Lex, but here in the extended cut, it's much more complete. Like, she really fully put everything together and tied it back to Lex. Very cool setting. And then all of a sudden, Clark emerges from the kind of clouds. This was also a surprise to me when I saw it. Uh, I did not know that Kevin Costner was going to have an appearance in this movie. Yeah, and this is sort of uh, reminiscent of when he sees his father after he dies in the comics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Superman's dead and then Jonathan has a heart attack, right? So then they meet in right. a sort of near-death experience. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is a Karn that we talked about in our... Um, episode on this scene and his story also plays into the whole idea of, of Lex uh, that Lex has about Superman about good things you know doing good things can result in bad things yeah and what, what Anatoly said about good fortune for one is his brother's right uh, bad fortune yeah to me the story is perfect and it's also I like the story because as I'm interpreting things and reading into the movie and I'm saying like, oh, you know, Clark doesn't talk a lot, but I'm kind of interpreting what he's going through like this. Or Bruce says one thing, but what he's really dealing with is his, his psychological issues. But when Jonathan Kent tells the story like this, it just confirms to us that we are interpreting the movie correctly. Because the stuff that we have been talking about and what we think the characters are going through, it matches perfectly with this story that Jonathan tells. It also just shows yeah. that Jonathan, you know, knows what Clark's going through, or this memory of Jonathan, at least. Now, Clark is clearly not in Metropolis or Kansas. <laughs> so, while the cat's away, the mice will play, and Lex takes advantage. Now, this, I will, I'm not... Ashamed to admit that this choked me up when I saw this. Actually, it choked me up a couple times in theaters. Like, first time, second time, even maybe the third time I saw it. I miss you too, Dad. Just Admittedly, this is the one scene that didn't jive with me when I first saw the movie. It just it felt to me like it broke up uh, the flow of the movie. This one that we're in now, the Wayne Manor? The, no, the Jonathan Kent scene. Oh, the Jonathan Kent. But the story, but you agree, like, the theme of the story ties in oh, absolutely. with... absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's nice, like, both Clark and Bruce get this kind of a scene of downtime where they both kind of go back to their parents, and they're really thinking about what they're dealing with. Bruce is not dealing with it very healthily yet. He's still, Bruce is still rationalizing it as, like, I need to take the Superman guy out. 
Now, <laughs> I don't want to name names, but I know someone questioned what this building was. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, on the internet. I, like, oh. I don't want to name who it is, but it's, <laughs> it's clearly uh, Wayne Manor. I mean, you saw the, the crest. Yeah. I mean, you know... <laughs> Wow. And he says that his father sat him down right there. I mean, yeah. there's really no question about it. Yep. And, the you know, there's obviously the symbolism of the state that Wayne Manor's in and then the state that Bruce is kind of in. So falls the house of Wayne. That's extra line, right? So now oh, Nancy Grace. Clark is still away, and Lex takes the opportunity to kidnap Martha. <laughs> Nancy Grace I gotta give Nancy Grace credit for her acting but just her real thing is yes, something else As she was just being herself <laughs> <laughs> so yeah now we've seen how brutal and how far Lex will take things like lives don't even matter to him in his game and so now we're like oh this is gonna definitely change things if Lex has Martha now she don't, she she didn't get a chance to actually scream there. So even oh there's a question mark there on the pillar to the left. Mm -hmm. Sort of like Riddler's question mark. Yeah. Yeah, Mar and to go back there, the Martha got like a little bit of a kind of a yip out but not like a full-throated scream or anything. And plus she's over in Kansas and It was Clark, it was subdued. It was it yeah. was subdued. She was trying to scream through, you know, her mouth being covered. Yeah. So this is obviously a big affront to Superman because Superman said, you know, don't ignite your signal or don't go to it. And Batman's basically saying, in your face, the rain has arrived at Gotham. I love the uh, light eyes. The glowing eyes, yeah. Yeah, the glowing eyes. Like, they're so cool in the comics, but I never even thought that they would go for them in live action, but they pulled them off. So now Lex sees the signal, and he says the night is here, which is also a double entendre because mm -hmm. dark night. night. Yeah. Right. So now because he gets the call, Anatoly goes and kidnaps Lois here. And right away when I was watching this the first time, I knew that dude behind her was kind of suspicious too because he was framed right. perfectly in the shot over her shoulder. They're closing in on her. Oh, and that song's playing. Oh, yep. That'll come Every back later. Every time we say goodbye, die a little. Yep. Can I, Zevil, refer to that later? Good call. Lex's theme playing and in the background. So they cover her mouth, too. And again, we don't know how far away Clark is. He might still be, you know, halfway to the mountains or still at the mountains. So, uh... Was that Terrio written on that van? I was trying to read it. Yeah, I missed it. I, think I, may, I feel like I maybe heard somebody say that it was, but I didn't see it. So, again, Lois and Helicopters is kind of part of Superman canon. Yeah, I love the Lex theme, like he's pulling strings. You know, and... Before we get to this helipad scene, I wanted to point out that Lex, in the Death of Superman storyline, actually says, does Superman's presence here cause more harm than good? Mm -hmm. Which I think 
fits very well with Lex's motivations in this. Mm -hmm. The Lolita reference there. Yeah, if you want, uh, in our episode on the helipad scene, we break down that reference to Lolita. Now again, Lex, you know, I can understand people being irritated by Lex, but to me that's part of what makes him great, is that he is irritating. He's in people's space. He has his mannerisms. She is feisty. Ooh. Like, everything is like a game to Lex. Like, he just does his wordplay, and he just thinks he's so smart. And, you know, Lois points out he's psychotic. This is the, the mad scientist version of Lex that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't that suave businessman version of Lex. Mm-hmm. Again, just showing how ruthless Lex is. He's willing to even himself push somebody right off the edge. Which he does in Birthright also. Beautiful shot here. Now, this was in Chicago. They filmed this. There's a set photo that leaked out of Superman cradling Lois like that right there. So now, people asking, why Superman there? She answers it right there. He came back. Yeah. Yeah, he was coming back, and he happened to get there in time. Yeah, it's just a... It's a coincidence it's not any kind of like plot hole or anything and she was screaming pretty loudly so yeah he was bound to hear her this is great i like i love how lex is just waiting for the next little part of his game so he set the timer mm -hmm. which means he knows when he's going to unleash doomsday mm -hmm. now all of this stuff here is super well written and super important and we can't cover it here in real time so i think i think our episode on just this helipad scene right here was an hour and five minutes or something <laughs> so like all of this stuff that he's saying is just packed with meaning and it brings everything together lex's whole thing comes right to this perfect pinnacle on the helipad we've got the problem of evil perfect yeah and he's basically explaining his motivations laying all his cards out he references and, his father again, like like before. But now we get kind of an abusive father element to it. And interestingly enough, he's got that bandage on his hand. And Lex in the comics lost his hand because of Superman. And now we see that, you know, Lex has been playing Batman the whole time. Superman, though, still can't believe, like, you think I'm going to just go fight him? Now, this is a bit theatrical, but I think it makes sense for Lex. He is, he is theatrical, and this is all his game, and he wants to play it out with these flourishes that he puts on it. You know, he was kind of irritating, but I think it's brilliant. And he, he already knows from Man of Steel how attached he is to Martha. 
-hmm. When Zod attacked Martha, he flipped out. Yeah. And it's definitely not hard to believe that Lex would be able to figure out that, that Superman is Clark Kent. You know, if he's got resources and the will, there's ways to figure it out. But yeah, and we saw I, in Man of Steel, Lois figured it out pretty easily. Yeah. But I just like hear how Lex just totally catches Superman off guard with the Martha thing. Superman did not see that coming at all. So it definitely catches him and enrages him. Now, this was brilliant, too. Like, Lex thinks it all through. Like, he says, I need to not know where Martha is. Otherwise, Lex is a liability to the plan. And he's basically saying, you need to do what I want you to do. Now, I love this, the hand over his head. Like, I I have you bowing to me. I control you. I'm winning. Like, he's like he's now his puppet. He's putting his hand over him. Oh, like yeah. he's the puppet master. Nice. Yeah, so he wants he wants the public to see the flaws in Superman. Either Superman is going to kill somebody or Superman is going to get beaten. Either way, he wants the public to see that Superman is not God. Superman is not above everyone else. So this whole thing is not just about killing Superman. This whole thing is about he wants the public to turn against Superman, and then he wants to kill Superman. <laughs> and part of that is because he knows there are other metahumans out there, and he wants the world to be against them as well. Mm-hmm. Great shot here, going around the helipad with, with Superman kind of watching Lex go, and Superman having to make another tough decision yet again. Here we get a nice walk through the setting, this warehouse going to be an awesome scene later but i like how the filmmakers let us see it like take a lay of the land and in a few minutes we're going to get to see some action here now this is a little bit extended right yeah we get a little a little bit more a few more beats here when they then set the timer out So Lex just flew away on the helicopter, and now the scout ship is activating and everything. So Lex has his scout ship stuff that he wants to do during the fight. So it's not just all about the fight. He's got his doomsday stuff already going. And at this point, you know, Superman hasn't been seen for, for a while. So people are assuming that he's at the ship. Oh, yeah, good point. That, like, a lot of people could definitely be making that assumption. Yeah, so again, it's like a choice, you know. And he Superman. had a look of dread on his face there. Right. He doesn't want to kill him. He's just realizing, like, I'm I put into a difficult position. I'm going to have to make some sort of choice about how to handle it. Stupid humanity keeping, like, he can't win. Humanity keeps kind of ruining things for him. So Diana's packing, getting ready to leave. Yeah, because she figured out what she came to figure out. Like, she wanted to know, how much information does Lex have on me? And she found out that, okay, Lex does have my photo. He does seem to know that she has well, a long life. Well, she life. didn't find out until just here. Or she is, yeah, that's true. Right. She's finding out right here, yeah. She's, so she's checking the news, and while she's checking the news, she gets this, this email that was waiting in her inbox. Yep. And there's the picture. 
and get the music again with the diminished fifth interval there. I like this too as the, the scrolling down allows us to kind of get each line one at a time. Right. So for me, I just got super excited at this whole part. Now, I have we did say on the podcast how Superman was just flying towards Batman, so it's a bit weird to interrupt it with these things, but I was just so excited to see each of these that, to me, I totally forgave it where they put it. Now, she's obviously been in hiding from the world of man this whole time since that photo was taken. So... Seeing how these metahumans are um, are basically exposed, it gives her a reason to come out of the shadows and out of hiding, because she realizes that her secret isn't going to remain a secret. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's also important. Seeing these these shots, oh. it's like you know what the metahumans are going to be exposed. So yeah. there's, it's it's pointless to stay in hiding any longer. So, and that helps the prompter to go join the doomsday fight. Right, so that's a great point. So because of that reasoning, this needs to happen before the doomsday fight. Like, you can't just have it as a end credit scene or something. Right. Both of those were really good, I think. I mean, I liked all three of these clips. I'm pretty excited for the Cyborg movie. I know some people were surprised that there was a Cyborg movie on the DC film slate, but I've been really enjoying Cyborg in the comics since New 52. And mm -hmm. he's got, you know, last year he had his own uh, title, and now he has his own title that's pretty good right now, too, in the Rebirth. Well, and clearly they're, they're going with the, the Rebirth version of Cyborg because the Rebirth version, or at least the New 52 version, I mean... Yeah. Um, has has that whole mother box connection. Yep. Which was never really uh, came into play prior to that. Yeah, and again, like I just love how the movies are connected. So like that mother box right there, and the fact that Star Labs had it and stuff is going to play right into Justice League. I think Cyborg is going to be a pretty big part of Justice League yeah. because of that mother box connection. Now we get yet again the Perry Lois thing, like respecting and each Perry other. Perry says. And Perry says Superman's probably at the ship. Yep. Reinforcing that that idea that people think he's there. And here she just makes a personal appeal. Like, I just need this for personal reason, and he can see in her eyes that this is important. Now, I like here she points toward the light, and then we cut right to it. Great transition. And we can see how far Gotham is from Metropolis. That's a great reveal, too, there, where it's dark, but then when the lightning flashes, you can see Superman hovering above. So this is the episode we just released yesterday, so you can check out our full analysis of all this. Um, but it's good stuff. I, to me, I, I like how they conceptualized and designed this fight overall. Like I like how they have Batman's different traps. I like the physicality of it. And actually, in The Dark Knight Returns, he starts off by shooting Superman with a sonic... Uh... Sonic mm -hmm. attack. Yeah, and that one he eventually has like an electrocution type attack too, right? That they didn't use in this one. Like he did something with a lamppost and ended up electrocuting Superman. Oh, something. right, right, right. So they didn't use that one, but they used, I think, the right number of kind of uh, Batman tactics. Right, definitely. And they also just... See, now, 
he just walked a few steps and that went off. So right, it was right where Batman was. So clearly Batman must have triggered it while he was on the ground. Yeah. To buy himself some time. Yeah. I'd like to just, you know, the the visuals and the action here, like him him thrusting Batman and then him rising up and using the heat vision. It's just really strong visuals in this fight. Now this is a little so bit. So this extra. is added. Yeah. Right in the extended cut. Yeah, this I'm not really sure what, that it's needed. I think he can just go and take him up onto the roof. Like, cause yeah, he. It doesn't really add anything. It's just an extra push. Yeah, he he probably should have said something there. Yeah. But now it throws him through the bat signal. It's great stuff. This is a great shot. The rain is falling, so we have the falling motif from Batman. We got the eyes glowing. And you can see Superman in the sky. Yep, coming down. So now we got the next Batman tactic that he's prepared. I think Ninja. I read. <laughs> yeah, I think I read that there's lead particles in that smoke bomb. So it's hard for Superman to see through it. That would make sense. I think it was in the art of the film book or something. So in Dark Knight Returns, he gets shot with an arrow from Green Arrow, which explodes into kryptonite gas just like that. Now, yeah, like you can see how close Batman is to going over the edge. Like he's enjoying this too much. He's Batman almost got and, like a super villain smell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good shot. And that punch, like that, felt like a real punch and a real block. It's good. Like, man, I don't know how Zack Snyder and his whoever is like fight choreographer is and stuff. They just do such a good job with all these hits that it feels like a real fight. There's so many movies where. The choreography's cool and it's smooth and stuff, but it doesn't feel like real blows. And this one, it feels like real blows. You know, and I can't fathom how people could complain that this fight is too short. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting. Did they want to just see two hours of them fighting? Yeah. And, like, you, you can't do, like, Zod stuff. Like, you can't be flying around the city and then going up to space. So it's like what are you going to do to draw it out? Just have a lot more punches and then kicks and like have 10 kicks instead of a few kick. Like for me, I, it didn't even cross my mind. It seemed like the right amount of time for the fight. So Superman's getting a little bit of his power back. There's the Ontario thing. The, uh, you see it a little bit better here. The Ontario cutout that was confirmed by Zack Snyder. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. So I grew up right next to Ontario, Ontario. So, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I should have. This is a great spot coming up. Like, this is just one of those things that's a memorable moment. Like, one of those things that you remember seeing that. His jaw just tightening up. <laughs> and then he, the hand. He looks scared there. <laughs> yep. So, Man Superman elevates himself, in. showing he has the upper hand now. And it comes down on him. Yeah. And here is his, his inner struggle where he's like, you know what? I have to end this. 
Yeah, because in in Superman's mind, the the clock is ticking. Like uh, you know, his mom, he knows is on a literal timer. So your like your interpretation is like right there. He decided that actually maybe he has to go kill Batman. Absolutely. I mean, look, had it not been for the Kryptonite, there would have been way more damage. Right. And all of Superman's you know hits thus far never actually damaged the suit, but here his helmet is destroyed. Right. Which means that Superman had put more force than than he had up until that point. So mm-hmm. he was definitely ready to kill him. Hmm. And that yell was very reminiscent of the yell he made when he killed Zod oh. in Man of Steel. Yeah, and that that same kind of yell does come back when he kills Doomsday. So it is maybe like his kill yell kind of thing. Or at least it represents when he kills now here i mentioned in our pockets but what grabs his hair right there ah oh, oh, like i can i don't actually have a lot of hair on the top of my head but when he grabs like that i can almost feel it his fingers going into the hair and pulling it and of course hitting someone in the back of the head is a sucker punch that knocks you out and there we just passed on the on the right the who watches the watchman yeah and now yeah, here to me this was again the above below kind of falling motif. Like Batman is now taking Superman down, which is where Batman has been this movie. He's been down and Batman is still down. He hasn't been redeemed yet. Now this is one so I like the cape, I like the blue there. Um and Batman's just so methodical here. He's like I planned for this. Going to the next part of his plan. Now th- these lines come from the Dark Knight Returns, also. Yeah. Now I'm always curious here, like when he says, "My parents taught me this lesson." Yeah, they they taught him this lesson by dying. They didn't teach it to him like when they were alive. It's and right. you know the main thing that he has with his parents is is their death, really. Now this was one thing that. I'm not really sure how Batman was able to swing him so well like that. <laughs> well, he used the centripetal force. Like, of the, the, retra- the retracting. The retracting, it. right. I still feel like I don't know that a man could swing another grown man that high and like that. Well, and that's why when you said that this was more of a bear suit, I think it mm-hmm. certainly added to his strength also. Uh, yeah, that could be. Now, I noticed, like, with the kryptonite spear, like, he kind of activates the spear, and then it starts glowing. So, Man of Steel Answers talked about it as maybe needing some sort of energy flowing through it that makes it more able to cut, more uh, dangerous to Superman. So, the shaft of the spear actually maybe has some technology built in to be able to activate the kryptonite. Interestingly enough, this is the Excalibur at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, sword in the stone here. And so, also, Morgan Le Fay in Excalibur manipulate Arthur and Lancelot. So that's sort of what Lex does with Superman and Batman. Yep. So now Batman said you were never even a man, so that goes right back to the main theme we've talked about. But, so to me, you know, we'll give our full analysis of this coming up very shortly. But to me, the... Th- it wasn't that he said Martha and then Batman was immediately his friend. Saying Martha just caused Batman to pause for a moment. Like, it just made him sort of be like, wait, what? What did you say? And then when he paused for a moment, 
then that gives him a chance to start processing a lot of different things. He's processing that Superman is down beneath his foot, that Superman is bleeding, so he does bleed, and it's given a moment for Batman to realize, wait a minute, I'm standing over somebody about to kill him like this, and remembering his parents' death, you know, all this stuff that just uh, dominoes after the moment of pause. And he's still trying to figure it out. He's trying to process this, And then basically. Lois comes in yelling, Clark, mm-hmm. which gives him an opportunity to make the connection between him and Lois. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, f- you know, it's not that if you have the name Martha, you're Batman's friend. It's just that the Martha caused him to stop, and once he stopped, he started thinking, started questioning. Lois comes in, he thinks some more. And now like, wait he a kind minute, of... Clark Kent? I met Clark Kent. And he was questioning Batman's role. Yeah, and it's I like... think right now in his mind he's thinking too, like, wait a minute, like, what led me to this moment? Have I been being manipulated? Have I been going down a dark path? Did I almost do something that I would have regretted? Like, he's finally, like, realizing that he was in this tunnel vision, this vengeful state. So for me, I totally bought the moment right away like to me it was a great moment and it was frustrating to see people like making fun of it because i thought it worked really for batman's arc i thought it worked as a resolution to the fight and personally as a fan of the comics i was like oh man that's right both their mothers named martha yeah it's actually kind of funny for me because a, a little while before the movie came out barnes and noble had a like Batman trivia day, like they had some Batman giveaways and then they had Batman trivia. And I did the Batman trivia and one of the trivia questions was the mother's names. And that was the first time that I actually realized they both had the mother named Martha. And then uh, just a little while later I went to the movie and then saw that it actually that came up in the movie. See, and Bruce just said Martha won't die tonight. Yeah, it's great. So, so Martha died on the night his mother died. But Martha, not he didn't say your mother. Right. Yeah, Martha. So, yeah, and so this he's, is, he's this trying is to save. He was yep. basically trying to save Martha when he couldn't save his mother, own mother. Yep, and he's trying he's, to finally like reclaim his power. Like, oh, maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can save somebody that redeems me from that moment when I felt so powerless as a child. And maybe Batman does have worth. Maybe as Batman, I can do something good and make a difference. Because so far, he feels like as Batman, he really hasn't made a difference. There's still all these criminals like Weeds in Gotham. And the, and the fact that he says, I don't deserve you, Alfred, I think speaks to the fact that he realized that Alfred was trying to yep. snap him out of this. Yeah. Bruce spiral. is now... Yeah, Batman is now gradually coming out of his hole, right? And recognizing Alfred like that is one of that steps to come out of his hole. Uh, Lois grabbing the spear, so like she sees the spear that was dangerous to her love, so she wants to get rid of it. She doesn't want to give it to the authorities because the authorities might misuse it, so she's going to try to ditch it away somewhere. Um, But now we we come up, we got the bat wing, um, which was designed with the negative space being a silhouette of a bat. Um, So again, they're opening fire on the bat wing, so he's returning fire. And I also would say, like, Batman is not fully redeemed yet until the end. He's on his way to being redeemed. And even Superman was willing to kill Zod to save people. So you can't blame Batman entirely. He's trying to save Martha. 
he's trying to prove himself, his worthiness. Mm-hmm. This is cool. This is just, yeah, this is cool is just the word for that. <laughs> Jumping off of the wing and then having the silhouette of the bat coming through the window. Now we get to, I think this is probably, so if you just judge it based on action and fight choreography and stuff, I feel like this is the best fight scene in a superhero movie. I don't know where it is on your list. Oh, this scene's awesome. Yeah. And this was one thing that like really surprised me about this movie was after I watched it like the third or the fourth time and I started really thinking through it, this movie actually passed The Dark Knight on my list, which I did not expect it to ever do. Um, but I now have like Dark Knight as like a 9.5 or something like that, and I have this as like a 9.8 out of 10. I think this is the best bat- action Batman scene in any movie. It's just so kind even in the cartoons. Yeah. It seems so realistic, but also it does have beautiful physicality and choreography to it, but it's brutal. It's just everything. It's got strategic moves. It's got moments like that where the music comes in with the blast behind him. I love this right there. You have the reaction shots of like, what is Batman doing out there? Um, so many cool, creative things that they figured out to put into the fight choreography. So now he th- he tossed that crate, and it did. It might have killed that guy. There was blood, but he didn't set out to kill him per se. Mm-hmm. You know, he just tossed it at him. Right. And he doesn't actually do anything in this scene to flat out kill anyone. Right, like the, the dude with the grenade, like that was the dude's own grenade. It wasn't that right. Bat, Batman didn't throw a grenade right at him. And he technically didn't even throw it back at him. Right. He threw the guy at him, and which caused him to drop it. Yep. And the crate hitting somebody in the head does not necessarily kill you, even if you bleed from it or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, this is just so great. Like, This the, part was, was brilliant. Yeah. Oh, man. The stab, the, the knee. knee. So good. I love how he jumps up there and comes around. Very well balanced. And notice how his, that's in his shoulder, the knife. Mm-hmm. See, he's still alive. Yep. Now, at this point... Now, that's not really clear what happened there. Now, this scene is from Dark Knight Returns also, where he breaks through the wall. And yeah. even the line about, I'll kill her, and then he says, I believe you. Yep. And pe- yeah, people who really know The Dark Knight Returns might have even known that Batman was about to break through that wall because the wall was kind of like framed in the shot perfectly for him to come through, but it's still it's great when it happens. And you know what? Here, in The Dark Knight Returns, he actually shoots the guy in the head. Here, so I've heard, he I've heard differing reports on that. I have to go back and look at it. Um, but I think the thing here, like, why didn't Knaizev just kill Martha right away? But I think Knaizev has very strict orders from Lex about when to kill Martha, and those haven't been met yet, so Knaizev can't just kill her willy-nilly. Like, uh, Lex might still need her for his plan with Superman. That was funny. That got a big laugh uh, opening night when I saw this movie about the cape. Yeah, so here... To me, this makes sense. Lois is trying to get rid of that kryptonite spear, but she can't just carry it out 
if she carries it out, somebody's going to see her, and then somebody might take it, and then it could be used in the future against them. So it's not that it's like the best thing ever to throw it in that water, but it's the best option that she has in front of her. There's a reference to Alice in Wonderland. So Lex still thinks he has the upper hand because he always has backup plans. So Superman will take him in without breaking him, but Batman wants to do the breaking in person. So they still, Superman and Batman are still approach things a little differently. So the right so, there, he's basically acknowledging that he hates Superman existing. He wants him dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so earlier it's like he hated Superman above mankind and he wanted to bring him down. But he also wants him dead, ultimately. And so, yeah, here's his... So I'm looking at the Dark Knight Returns right in front of me. Okay. And uh, it, it, it pretty much looks like he was shot in the head. Okay. There's a bullet hole behind him and blood splatter everywhere. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but then somebody online like said very definitively, like, no, it didn't. So I, I hadn't actually checked it since then. But that was what, like, Zack Snyder said, too. Like, Zack Snyder said, Dark Knight Returns has him shooting him right in the head. So it's kind of, like, off-screen, sort of, in the Dark Knight Returns, but it, it definitely is implied. Right. That it... So now, blood of my blood, he's he's basically saying <laughs> that he thinks he's, he's going to control Doomsday and pit him against Superman. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I now, interpret it. Now, interestingly enough, he says, you're Doomsday. In the comics, Booster Gold actually names him Doomsday. Because he's basically this big threat that seems unstoppable. Yeah, I thought. And it, and interestingly enough, Superman is basically weakened from his fight with Batman mm -hmm. in the comics. The first time Doomsday ever punches Superman, it does he doesn't even flinch. But over time, from fighting him, he he gets weaker, similar uh -huh. to how he's weak now when he's yeah. fighting him. So this is a great moment where Superman literally saves Lex from the fist of an abomination. <laughs> right. It's great. Wonderful shot right there against the silhouette of the, or the skyline. I like how they use the statue here too. Like, you know, this is the people that have honored Superman and stuff and Doomsday is going to just bash it over Superman's head. So a lot of people hated the the CG for Doomsday, hmm. saying he looked like a, an orc from Lord of the Rings. He does a little but, bit, but I still think that's good. I still think it looks good. But you know, we have to keep in mind that he's based on you know he he comes from Zod's body, mm -hmm. and he's still in his like early form. At this point, you know, he evolves and then he changes his appearance a bit. So this is another Watchmen alum, right? Right. On the phone. President. Yeah. 
I guess my coworker's wife is actually friends with him, Patrick Wilson or whatever his name is. Hmm. So Martha's free now. So we get a little bit of an approach shot here of the Batwing coming in. Or, you know, leaving the warehouse and going. Now, it's possible that Batman told Martha to tell the authorities that Lex is at the scout ship. And that's how they find him. So that's the first time that Wonder Woman sees Doomsday, right? Like, before then, she knew there was just some stuff at the scout ship, some Some electricity. Some electrical disturbance. But now she's like, oh, wait, this is serious. So Doomsday gets a little bit more destruction here in the uh, extended cut. And I like how they did the uh, the glow in his chest where when those things are hitting him, it's actually powering him up, and then he can release it like that. I did think it was a really weird choice to give him this sort of energy blast ability. I like the idea, though, that like when they're hitting him with stuff, that it just kind of powers him. Because that shows what, how the military is kind of going to be outmatched, and it... It makes the audience think, like, how are you going to defeat this guy? If when you hit him with stuff, it just makes him more powerful. Right. So I like that. Building well, it's interesting because that also plays into the character Parasite, which was in Earth, the uh, Earth-1 comics. Great shot here going through the clouds and up. Now, we'll talk about this when we analyze these scenes and stuff, but for me, it makes sense that the president and, you know, some of the leaders like this would think to nuke them, because the nuke is kind of like their ace in the hole, and mankind and the president are going to think, we need to do something to stop Doomsday, we can't just rely on Superman to do it. So they're thinking, this is our chance to do the thing that we have up our sleeve, which is a nuke. It's not necessarily the best decision, but I think it's a very plausible decision that they would try to do that. And of course, Superman also gets nuked in The Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. And I like here, too, where it shows Superman, you know, he's willing to sacrifice himself here, too, to bring Doomsday right into the nuke. And then later, Superman sacrificed himself again. Like, you got to give Superman a lot of credit for his heroics. And I think it's really cool seeing them fight in space because it has that sort of sci-fi element. Yeah. Now, is Superman holding his breath right there? Maybe? Because we don't really know about how Superman, how far he can travel into space. Oh, there well, it looks he like maybe he's inhaling. Considering there's still fire coming out of the rocket. Oh, yeah. That means there's still is. in the stratosphere. That's right. Yeah. So, th- like, that's devastating, but also a beautiful shot. And Bruce says, oh, God, which mm. is a, nice. a symbolic. Yeah, so before he was, you know, saying you were not a man and stuff, and now he's saying, oh, God, in reference to... And something. here the devil fell to earth from the sky, mm. like Paradise Lost. And if you notice, those circles look very different from the circles around Doomsday's radar
And that's Strikers Island, which is a fictitious uh, prison in uh, the DC universe. Mm-hmm. So here we start to get some of the bone protrusions, which people expected probably from the beginning. I really don't miss like the long whitish hair that Doomsday often has. I think that would have looked <laughs> kind of weird in the movie. I would have liked more bones protruding. So this was like this took me aback when I saw it at first. Yeah. And I know it's it is an homage to some uh comics. Like Dark Knight Returns, he gets hit with the nuke like you said. The emaciated part of it even kind of reminded me of like Flashpoint Superman, just so thin and emaciated. Right, right. Just as a visual kind of connection, not really a so Doomsday connection. in this is kind of like a mix between Bizarro, Doomsday, and and Parasite. He's absorbing energy, and he's a clone. <laughs> Man, the face blast. And Batman's able to get behind the hill. But, yeah, that face blast was like, whoa. So Bruce totally articulates the rationale for getting the spear and trying the spear. But later we'll see Clark and Lois also figure it out as well. It's just that we hear Bruce talk through it, like why the spear might work. Yeah, because the only other creatures they've seen use heat vision are Kryptonians. Yep. Yeah, so he came out of the scout ship and he just did a heat vision blast like that, like you said. So I think it's pretty cool. Like, this is something that Batman can do, is he can get Doomsday to chase him. You know, he can't really take on Doomsday. But he can lure him. Now, this is just cool. Like, this is another one of those things where, you know, in a great movie, you have visual moments that are just iconic and memorable, and this is another one. So good. So I like to think that he's leaping there. And I like to think that he's flying. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't think about that. It could be, yeah. Uh... Now, here we come to another iconic moment that basically gets everybody right in the shivers. He's firing up. Batman is totally exposed. Now, you might think that was Superman dropping down because Superman just recovered, but nope. It's the Wonder Woman. And the and music that awesome comes in. music comes in. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love that, that uh, musical piece. And the drums. So we'll talk about it in our analysis, but the drums are so genius too because it's like a 4-4 four, a four, four measure and then a 3-4 measure, so it always feels like it's a beat ahead of itself, which really gives it a forward momentum to this rhythm. And that's kind of Wonder Woman's character, too. She's always kind of like leaping forward, leaping right into it. And that music has that same feel. So now Lois is seeing this, and she's like, wait a minute. Yep, that she... spear might come in handy. Right. I better she... go get it. In her mind, she just went through the same logic that Batman did, but she just did it, you know, silently. I don't know why people have such a hard time figuring out why Lois would go back for the spear. She's smart, people. See, and now 
Superman figured out the same thing independently. Now we get the Trinity forming. Now I like the line. So that line's important because it indicates that Lex's manipulation of Bruce went as far as to make him think that Diana was Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because he's thinking, like, how else could there be somebody that doesn't age like that and maybe they're Kryptonian, yeah. Right. That's a great shot there with the shield pushing against it. I'm glad, too, that Patty Jenkins is using that same kind of thing with Diana leaning against the shield. Uh, in Wonder Woman, it's going to be, like, the bullets in the trenches, but here it was the blast from Doomsday. So now here with Lois, she was going in to retrieve the spear, and then the wreckage fell on her and trapped her in. So she wasn't just, like, silly and got herself in trouble. It was stuff crumbling on top of her. See, Doomsday looked pretty cool there. Yeah, and one I love Wonder Woman's battle cry. So good. He looks a lot less like an orc now that he has the that those bones. Yeah, that's true. Like, so maybe a minor nitpick could be like they could have maybe started with some bones and then just had them grow instead of starting with none and then having some come in. I like the the tag team here. Like, she, a couple times she went at the legs and Superman came up high. So they had a little bit of teamwork, but Doomsday is definitely a formidable opponent. Batman can just watch. He doesn't look any worse than Abomination did in the Incredible Hulk movie. Oh, I w yeah, I mean, personally, I would say he looks better than that. I really didn't have a problem with the CGI. I thought that the CGI looked good. You could maybe, like, talk about the design choice, which I think the design choice is okay, but CGI, I thought, looked good. I mean, your brain knows that it's not real because it's a huge monster, <laughs> you know? Right. So your brain is kind of telling you that it, it doesn't look real, but... I think they did a good job with it. That shot That's was just a great amazing. Shot. Yeah, like when that shot came on the screen, I was just sort of like, is this really happening in front of my eyes right now? I just immediately wanted to watch it again. And we see that Doomsday is stronger. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like Doomsday wins that showdown between the heat vision. And so here Superman is relatively close. And he knows Lois is around, so he kind of has an ear open for it. The fact that Superman hears Lois pounding does not mean Superman can hear anything in the world at any time. Well, he also doesn't have the musical score in the background um, <laughs> covering up the noise. Yeah. So he goes in and saves her, and then she'll save him. Which, some people have criticized this as a double beat, which is where in a movie you have the same beat twice of somebody saving somebody out of the water. But I don't think that's a criticism. Like, I don't think that should be criticized. I think that was a choice to have Superman and Lois each save each other. That scene right there was the cover of The Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that an was homage cool. to that. Yeah, and it was nice that they put it in a trailer so that people could spot it even before the movie came out. I like the use of the grapple gun. That's a definite Batman thing from the comics. And this, uh, 
this scene is a, a throwback to the original Superman. Oh with, right. Where, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, he's got the that kryptonite necklace. Yep, and the the female assistant of Lex or whatever. Miss Teschmacher, I believe. Yeah. What's her name? So they got the spear, but she gets it away from him just so he can recover a bit. So now that he has the spear, he knows what he has to do. Yeah. And for me, I feel like it makes sense that Superman takes it upon himself of, I need to try to do this. I, I can't imagine Superman being like, hey, Wonder Woman, go try to see if you can stab him. Like, I feel like that's something where you just take it on yourself and say, like, all right, I'm going to try to do this. You don't just pass the buck to somebody else. I love how Wonder Woman is actually enjoying the, the battle. Yeah, I thought I thought they used her really well in this battle overall. And I, I like how they worked it out here where Superman and Lois can have a moment together before the sacrifice. Yeah. And of course, Doomsday grows that spike, which yeah. z which is how Zod killed uh, Jor-El. Yeah. In Man of Steel. I like here, too, how, again, Superman and Lois have this just connection. They can they know each other. Because he and doesn't he, and say he says, what he's you about are to my do. World. She, yeah, she knows what he's about to do without him having to say it. And then they have the world, yeah, comes to its resolution. Which in, in, the, in the future vision, he says, she was my world. So that's, that connection lets us know that he was talking about Lois. Yeah. And he's been, he's been trying to decide with, you know, to commit himself to this world that kind of makes it hard for him. And how is he going to find his way to it, way in it? And now it brings a resolution to that story. So arc. now all three of them are contributing to this final attack. Yep, I thought it was Wonder Woman with the lasso, Batman with the kryptonite gas, yep. and then Superman with the spear. Very well constructed, right? Yeah, to have all of them play a role at the climax. So now this oh. this is actually reminiscent of Excalibur, mm -hmm. where Arthur, King Arthur... Uh, gets impaled, and he actually pushes himself closer. Yeah, to Mordred, right? And Mordred was also kind of, like, conjured up in a sort right. of somebody-playing-God type of way. Yep. Uh, here's the yell. I love the, this That's musical. similar to the Man of Steel yell. Oh, yeah, the music. Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, and it's actually the melody that's from Man of Steel when Zod was about to be killed, but it's set in a different tempo and with different instrumentation. And you get the yell from Man of Steel as well. And now, See, now, yelling. right here, Doomsday up close looks fantastic. Oh yeah, even like the fingernail there looks like. And so... Superman was like in his hand when he fell down, right? Like Doomsday's hand. And this shot of Superman uh, is similar to that found in the Death of Superman comic. Right. He's uh, on that newspaper spread. I think one of our listeners made the connection about Superman being in the hand because I think, like, at the beginning of Man of Steel, Clark or you know Kal El is in Jor El's hand, and now mm -hmm. at the end of BVS, he's in uh, Zod's corpse's Doomsday's hand. But the music, again, is so effective here. Like, the music was great during the fight, and now the music is great here during the... Swaddled in his cape. Yeah. Now, this is like... So, Zack Snyder, if people don't know, 
he studied art history. That was like his uh, undergraduate major. And this is like uh, an homage to some of the famous paintings of when Christ is being lowered down from the cross. And the women like Mary are there to receive him. Mm. And then we get the classic shot of Superman in Lois's lap, which is also from the famous Death of Superman comics. And 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 people had a, seemed to have an issue with doing the Death of Superman at, at the end of this movie. Oh yeah, but, like they said it's too early. Well, and they said they should that should have been a movie on its own. But Mark Carl uh, Mike Carlin, the editor for DC Comics. During that that time of the the death of Superman comics, he he actually wrote, you know, it's not that the death of Superman is not really a story; it's a setup for the story of what would the world be like without Superman. Right. So, and that's sort of what they're doing here. They're setting up. Well, now we have Batman Justice League coming out, hell, basically. and we have to see what they have to do, you know, without Superman around. Right. Yeah, and what I've said a lot online in conversations about this is people expected the death of Superman to be, we love Superman, he's our hero, we're very sad that he has died. That's what they expected it to be. But what this was was something different. This was something, this was like a, we didn't know what we had until we lost right. it type exactly, of death. Yeah. So to me, it's a different type of death. And once you shift your frame of mind then to me it works really well and it was the culmination of the whole story of the movie all right so here we get the so new now, scene Communion. similar to a man of steel where Jor when Jor-El was talking to superman in the ship mm -hmm. you have you have this sort of holographic projection which which makes it seem more of the ship showing lex mm -hmm. rather than him communicating yeah but we did see the three mother boxes, which will be Justice League. Yeah, because it even had, like, planets up on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So it was... And here we see Lex's new yeah. bald look that everybody wanted to see. Very cool. Yeah, I like, I like that we get sort of the story of how the bald look came about rather than just having it be there from the beginning. So now we start to get this bit of how does the world react to Superman's death. And Superman we're, dead. Yep. Way more effective than uh, Return of Superman, where they had the two newspapers. Superman lives, Superman dies. <laughs> so Clark Kent will be missed, one of our own lost. So here we get the empty or streets. Superman Returns with Brandon Ralph, I meant. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I know what you meant, yeah. Yeah, these this is uh these are new shots, mm -hmm. the extended cut. But I I think this is very significant. It's showing that people have have abandoned, you know, their jobs to mourn. You know, mm -hmm. it's like this is such a monumental thing. Mm-hmm. Yep, and now, you know, the there's the broad, the city, the broad population is mourning it, but we also get this personal, how it affects Martha and the community of Smallville. And then we get, you know, the Perry and Jenny coming from Metropolis to mourn Which I don't well. believe we're in the theatrical cut in this scene. 
Mm-hmm. P. Ross and the. So that's the same like um, priest or pastor from Man of ah, Steel, right? That's right. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, that gets me to the Jonathan on there. So I love these Kents. I know not everybody does, but I just am totally in love with the way that they've approached the Kents in these movies. And again, this movie does a lot of things where you see the character and you empathize with them and you think about what they're going through. They don't have they don't have tons of dialogue to just tell you exactly what they're thinking. You have to put yourself into their shoes, which to me is more engaging. It draws the audience into the movie more, but you have to be willing to do that. <laughs> Some people just sit back and wait for the dialogue to sort of say everything. But now this even adds another little layer to the tragedy that he was planning to propose. And and so that goes back to the apartment scene, right? Like, can we balance Superman and our relationship? And Clark was making that commitment of like, yes, we can have our personal connection. Amy Adams has great reactions. And like, I should have said that back at the Martha scene and then at the death scene. She just is a very good actress. And we get the dual funerals, the Clark funeral and the Superman funeral. I think it's a cool concept. Yeah, and it's done similarly to the Death of Superman comics. Mm -hmm. And Larry Fong on Twitter confirmed that this right here was inspired by the JFK funeral procession. They visually wanted to go for the same kind of thing. I like the bagpipes here. And the two women who, they're the ones that knew him fully. They're the ones right behind the casket. So this is kind of reminiscent of the the Wayne murder at the very beginning where it showed the gun nozzle firing. Now we have another nozzle firing here. So we began the movie with a funeral, and now we're ending the movie with a funeral. Which is interesting, because Man of Steel started with a birth, and now BVS, you know, is bookended by a funeral. My understanding is that they were going for this sort of Empire Strikes Back tone for the second movie. Right, yeah, yeah, they even explicitly mentioned that, Empire Strikes Back, like you... You know, oh, if, it it's, a, a if it's a Zack, Zack Snyder trilogy to Justice League, then right. yeah, you, you end the second movie at a bit of a down note and you wonder kind of where are they going to go next if they're missing one of their people like Han Solo or, or Superman. Exactly, right. But they'll come back in the third movie. Shall rise again, hmm. which we know Superman will do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me... Everybody knew that Superman's coming back. You have Henry Cavill, you know, cast for Justice League. You're not going to be able to keep Henry Cavill a secret for Justice right. League. So for me, it made total sense that you already give the hint that he's going to come back in the movie. You don't try yeah. to make it a secret. You know, that, that's to me just silly. So here's a little extra thing here, which is kind of nice yeah. that Bruce. So with Bruce the death, obviously paid yeah. for the funeral. 
And with the right when Superman died, Bruce like emerges from that fire and from the shadows. And I think that is the moment where Bruce is kind of redeemed now. And he's back on the up and up. And that he's kind of making good on that by being generous and paying for the funeral and stuff. So in The Dark Knight Returns, uh, it's actually Bruce that's in a coffin. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and then not, there's the heartbeat. He's not actually dead, right? Yeah, nice call. Um, the other thing, too, coming up here... So he's Bruce is going to say, I failed him in life, I won't fail him in death. So that is a person who is now dealing in a healthy way with a feeling of failure. So Bruce is like, oh, I'm kind of flawed, I could have done better, so I'm going to rededicate myself to try to be a better person. That's a healthy outlook, or a healthy way to be. Up till now, he was being very unhealthy, he was in a very dark, you know, negative place. So that's this great character arc for Batman, Bruce Wayne. And I think it's a great character arc for Superman, too. Like, he made that final decision of what his place is going to be, what he needs to do, where throughout the movie he was struggling with that decision. Like, to me, that's why this movie, I give it, like, such high marks. It's like, wow, the, the characters had such rich arcs, well-drawn, come to a conclusion, a new place. They've, you know, they've resolved the main tension or question about their character. But you also had great action and stuff along the way. So we had the opening monologue, now we get the closing monologue from Bruce. And now we see the full extent of Superman's impact. And that silver Superman logo is reminiscent of uh, the death of Superman comics. Because when he comes back to life, he's actually wearing a silver-ass logo on his chest. Because mm -hmm. he's in this Kryptonian uh, black suit. Mm -hmm. And now, like, think about the resolution here. If you seek his monument, look around you. So we've gone from crowds of people protesting Superman to a crowd of people mourning him and saying, we are all going to be his monument. We've all been inspired by Superman to be better than we were. And Bruce personifies that, but so does everybody else. And And Wonder Woman has been inspired to come back you know, out into man's world and to try to do her part too. So for me, Superman's death really mattered. Like, you know, they didn't just do it to try to sell tickets. They did it because it really mattered for the characters and for the world. Right. So now this scene is actually a flashback. Bruce said, just a feeling, or I have a <laughs> feeling. Because he already and, had this meeting. Right. So he's thinking back to this. Yeah. And also maybe that vision that he had, he might still have it on his mind a little bit you know it's right. not superman's a tyrant but just the fact that there were these parademons <laughs> right. might be something that still has him curious but you're right Which, this one with lex is the main thing that gives him gives batman a reason to think that somebody's coming and this of course is a little extended in this cut i like it here too how lex has to submit and he has to literally just stare against this wall so Lex always wants to be the, the the big dog manipulating and being on top of other people, and now he like literally has to stand and face the wall because the guards told him to. He's been pushed down Phil to size. Phil Collins. He's quoting Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> or was it? No, I think that I got that wrong. That's not Phil Collins, is it? 
was a sting. <laughs> yeah, the Wayne Manor line, line is great. Is great. That yeah. double entendre. I wish they would have kept just that line because it's so clever. <laughs> yeah. But here I, here I think Lex is saying, you know, we're both men. We should be standing together. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact that Lex is already found unfit to stand trial indicates to me that his lawyers made that happen. Mm-hmm. And he faked being insane. Yeah, that's how I took it, too. So, the Arkham reference was not in the theatrical cut, right? That, right. Like, I wish they would have kept the Wayne Manors and then the Arkham reference, because I know just a lot of people were excited yeah. to hear that Arkham thing. So, here he's clearly sharing the information that he discovered on the, on the ship. Yep. And this is... So, obviously, Batman doesn't brand him, so that shows Batman has kind of been redeemed. But the God is dead, so now Earth is kind of unprotected... That's another reason that Superman's death is important. So, like, for me, I, I did not know that Superman was going to die in this movie, but as soon as I saw what they were doing with it and all the ways that it matters, I thought it was brilliant that they had Superman die, even though I love Superman. And I'm, I'm first and foremost a Superman fan. I think they paid respect to the character, and I think that they made it matter for this universe and for the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And here, like, saying ding, 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 I, I take that as as indicating that he's making the sound of the mother box. Yeah, which is usually written ping, but the ding also connects with the ding dong, the witch is dead. So right. I, th I think it is meant to be reminiscent of the ping, ping, ping. And the painting has been turned upside down. And right. so now, now we're going to have, you know, people from Apocalypse come and they're going to be the real demons from the sky. The power demons, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got the engagement ring she's on she's wearing the ring right yeah drops the soil I want to see if I could hear a heartbeat here yeah people people mentioned it so I believe them that it's there but I did not hear it the first few times that I watched this um, it was not obvious to me if there was a heartbeat but I think there is a little bit of a kind of a in the percussion a little bit of a kind of bass note so that could be a heartbeat interpretation. But, yeah, I love this going to the soil and it popping up. Nice. And we get some great kind of... Yeah, I think that was just percussion. I don't think it was an actual heartbeat. Yeah. So, yep, there it is. I mean, to me... So for me, it's kind of like, you know, what do you like in movies? I love movies that when I analyze them, I start seeing the connections, and I feel like the filmmakers were putting those connections there, that the filmmakers were thinking through those layers. And and that's where I get a lot of enjoyment out of movies. Anybody that listens to the podcast knows, because otherwise I wouldn't do the podcast, but I get enjoyment out of looking closely at the dialogue, at the characters, at the parallels, that kind of stuff. And this movie gave me, like, more than enough to sink my teeth into. You know, and I didn't I didn't suspect that they were going to do the death of Superman. And I guess I should have guessed being as they had Doomsday. Yeah, like I knew they have I Doomsday, totally but didn't I didn't expect it. Yeah, and, me too. Like I know Doomsday I, means Superman dies, but I still did not know that that's what they were going to do. 
And and you know, I when I walked out of the this movie, I was thinking, I'm so happy they did that they actually did it. Like mm-hmm. I had been waiting since the '90s to see a live action movie of this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I w- it just was so gratifying to see them actually go through with it and and kill him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> it sounded a little morbid the way you said it, but I know what you're getting at. Well, because it was, I mean, I, I lo- absolutely love the, the whole Death of Superman and Return storyline. Yeah, and, and you're yeah. right. It's a setup, right? It's this great setup for Justice League and Justice League 2 and Man of Steel 2. Uh, the story potential to come out of him returning is just great. Yeah. Uh, I'm hoping that we get a date on Man of Steel 2 because I'm also really excited for another one that is just, you know, primarily a Superman movie. This one I think is, you know, slightly had the edge towards Batman, but I think Superman had a very full character arc as well. And then a lot of the supporting cast were actually more of Superman's supporting cast than Batman. But Batman had, you know, a lot of it was kind of from his perspective. Absolutely, yeah. But I would love a Man of Steel 2. Like, I know we're getting a Man of Steel 2, but I'd love to know the date and start to just get excited for that. Yeah, and I think it would be awesome to see um, Brainiac come in. Yeah, I think he's coming somewhere. Um, You know, maybe Man of Steel 2. To me, he could also be a Justice League-level villain, but I know that Apocalypse is probably going to take up Justice League 1 with uh, Steppenwolf and then Justice League 2 with uh, Darkseid. So, Brainiac might end up showing up in the Man of Steel 2 or the sequel. But Yeah, they yeah. have they have so much material to work with. I mean, after they do Darkseid, they could do, you know, multiple Earths and that would be cool. Mhm. And if they could somehow manage to bring in some other the TV versus characters into the big screen, that would be amazing. Mhm. All right, well, I think we will probably call that good. Um, We've got a lot more to say, obviously, and we've been saying it in the regular podcast episodes, but um, we thank the listeners for asking and requesting for this commentary because it was fun for us to do it. Um, So we hope that you enjoyed it, and it's always good to just watch this movie again. So, you know, I think I've seen it, I don't know, nine times now maybe, and I love it every (laughs) single time. (laughs) Yeah, this movie is just fantastic, and... I was grateful to have this opportunity. I know when uh, <laughs> when uh, it was requested, I was pretty psyched, and I wasn't sure if you were were down for it. But you know, as as soon as we got the request for it, I was like, "Oh man, we got to do this." <laughs> yeah, for a while I was thinking maybe we would do it as like the culmination after we finished the analysis. But then I'm like, "Ah, oh, let's just go ahead and do it." It's kind of a different style than what we do, just to kind of go with it in real time. So, we are going to try to have for you our uh, Martha scene episode. So, that will be an important one. We have it mostly written. We just need to finish it off. Uh, I have a trip for work that I do need to take tomorrow, but we should be able to get the Martha scene up soon to follow this episode. But we really appreciate the support of our listeners. We also appreciate your insights and you catching the things that we miss. So, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. Also, we've cited Man of Steel Answers, so check them out if you haven't already. And Suicide Squadcast is good for your DC news. Um, But thanks for listening. And Alessandro, thanks for taking the time to do this with me. Absolutely. And thanks again to all the listeners that are are following the podcast and this commentary. 
And be sure to uh, to follow our, our new Twitter handle, JLU Podcast.